The surest blow is delivered from the shadows. None know this better than the daughters of Cain, they who have drenched the canyons of Ulgu in the blood of countless trespassers and would-be despoilers. Even as the mortal realms are consumed by the totality of war, the great temple city of Hagnar echoes to the screams of sacrificial victims and the frenzied chanting of witch elves. Marathi, the infamous High Oracle of Cain, prepares for the most important battle she will ever fight. Let Sigmar and Nagash shake the earth beneath the tread of colossal armies, playing out their ancient hatred upon a thousand war fronts. Let the Oryx and the foul minions of chaos indulge in primitive savagery, burning and pillaging in an aimless, mindless orgy of destruction. In the midst of such calamity, there is golden opportunity, and Marathi's ambition transcends mere conquest. While her enemies tear themselves to bloody shreds upon the spears and blades of their rivals, the High Oracle will play a subtler game. Deceit and deception shall be her weapons. Betrayal, her most potent poison. The High Oracle of Cain desires nothing less than the power of a true goddess, and she will let nothing stand in the way of her ascension. Bonds will be broken, alliances will be shattered, and powerful enemies made. And when the dust settles, the fate of the mortal realms will be forever altered. Welcome everyone to the first who knows how many reviews for Broken Realms. And we'll start with Ladies First, Marathi. Dave. Alex. How do we how how do we feel about this? Are we worried? Uh, what? Because we've had a series of books with people's first names. Um, yeah, they were called the End Times have... books. Nah, I'm not worried. Yeah. I'm not worried. Uh, this is just, you know what? We're moving into a whole new story development. But um, this is the weirdest show opening we've ever had. Um, I, where's where's our three things? Where's our names? What are you doing? Why did you just skip the intro? Why do you hate because me? I don't hate, well... I mean, uh, I don't. Uh, like, choose your is, words um, carefully. <laughs> we have our fancy intro with page one. Yeah, but still, gotta so say. So we don't need to do the three things. Oh, we don't need the three things. You know what? Uh, there was someone else who didn't know what the three things were, and those were the three seashells, and he didn't know how to use them, and therefore he was having bathroom problems. And if you no, know no, that. No, he was ref- having bathroom problems. He wasn't. He just went up to the little machine and he spoke some very colorful language and it gave him toilet paper. No, it gave him regular paper and that's not very helpful. Might have been, might as well okay, have been wax paper. So if your comparison is regular paper versus toilet paper compared to three C, three C shells that are not by the seashore and she isn't selling them. I don't care if it is Sandra, but it's just, they're just, how do you make sense of three seashells if you're just. I don't know. I don't know, but I can't make sense of this beginning either. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what's going on. All I know is we got to thank the sponsors because they still they they're they they they're good. Yes, yes, they are. All right. So as always, you take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore, Chaos Orc Superstore Studios. God. Bless America. <laughs> Kendrick Superstar. 
I'm just okay. I'm okay. I'm done this time. Honest. I'm done. Go ahead. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. And guess what? I got my I got my stuff from them. So excited. Totally not doing a, a toolbox. Yes, 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 yes. So because the Shining Company all have to be in base-to-base, most normal movement trays don't work. So what I did was I had six squared make uh, 32 mil, a five-band base for 32 mils, but like with no gaps. So they're all touching and with no edge on the base. So then they had to drill little holes in the center of each where the 32 mil would be, and I'm dropping in magnets. And so you're going to have all I have, I have all of these bases now, which are literally, they'll just all be on top of the base, no round lip, no anything. Um, you basically won't see them, except at the, underneath, the, underneath the, the, the base, you'll see the edge of it. But so this way they can all line up for Shining Company. They sent me a bunch of those. Which, if you're playing Shining Company, that's the way to do it. So you can move those guys in fives. Plus, then, now, you know, the guys at Six Squared, they do MDF stuff, but they also do laser printing and things like that. You know, or not, not laser printing, uh, uh, 3D printing and stuff. So I went out and I found, uh, actually, someone was very helpful. I forget who it was. Someone sent me a link to these uh, elf warrior heads. And I paid for the file. And... Uh, I sent the file to Kevin over at Six Squared, and now Six Squared. I mean, they're obviously they they if they're not just gonna, they're, they can't sell it because it's not theirs. But I bought the file, and their sponsors and their friends. So Kevin uh, basically um, just printed Harrison up a bunch of heads. Um, you know, I mean, he could have charged me the the cost of it, but he was really cool and didn't. But. Uh, so, you know, keep it all on the up and up. But so the hammer elves, now I have these heads. So I'm I'm doing I'm doing a custom conversion on Harrison's Hammer Bro elves. Do you believe that? Do you I do. It's 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 not just a head swap because I'm doing more with it than that. Plus, they've got the feathered crests on their heads and because the Hammer Bros have the tall helmets without any feathers like the rest of them they've got that really high collar on the neck so i'm gonna have to trim it down and make it work but i've got all that stuff from six squared i got heads i got bases and then being my my friendly support canadians he sent us candy like heather got kit kats and other thing canadian kit kats and canadian smarties and i got a couple of coffee crisps because coffee crisps are heaven just a little chubby bundle of heaven. So we got all that from our friends at Six Squared Studios. And we can go on to the next thing, but I just want to let you know how excited I am because my Lumineth Realm Lords project is taking You are all about that base? Uh, all about that base is all your base are belong to them. No treble. Anyway, um, so and, and last but most certainly not least... Grognard Games in Roselle, Illinois. There's always something happening at Grognards. Did you hear the bell? I did. You did? Good, because I didn't hit it that hard. See, that's a little harder. Then you hear the bell. I like the bell. So, um, speaking of which, they just finished their big, they had uh, uh, like, like a Black Friday weekend 
where like just about everything in the store was like yes. at, a, at a disc. It was great. Um, they had so much going on. Todd was actually going to come on and then wound up with internet issues. So I just kind of, I just, I kind of winged it and did a live commercial with all the stuff that he was going to talk about. We will have him on at some point though, because there's, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff. At Grognards, like they just, they've got, I brought Harrison in there and he didn't even realize how much stuff, like they hadn't, he'd been in there before. We were just walking through and I'm pointing out all these different things. He's like, they got a lot of, like it doesn't, the store doesn't look that huge for the amount of stuff that they have. It's bananas. And, you know, hopefully, eventually they'll be opened up for gaming again, which then there will definitely be more happening at Grognards. So, um, yes, I just, ugh, I'm... I want to. I want to get. I mean, I'm lucky that Harrison is now starting to want to play Warhammer again because I could actually get a game in every week now with him. Um, and he played a couple games. And now he's rewriting the list. He's changing things around. He's looking at stuff. Um, he's trying out. He's writing his techless list as well because he, you know, we bought him. We spent all that money on that big hunk of plastic. We're going to put it on the field. So we'll see what happens. But now he's learned the beauty of the of the. What what is the what's the what's the thing that uh, it's not called the tornado but when you have a croaknado you put croak on a what what is that endless spell called a bale wind vortex that's it he you know for a kid who sat there and thought endless spells were stupid then I showed him the bale wind vortex he's like wait a minute so that nine inch holy within nine for the for the five up ward save becomes holy holy within fifteen now yes it increases it by six inches oh. So now he's now he's looking at the at the wonders of a Bailwind vortex in his list. He was sad to find out you cannot put Techless on top of the Bailwind vortex. You can't, can you? He's a monster, right? You can't put monsters on top of Bailwind vortex. He is certainly a monster, um, but also in game terms, uh, you cannot put a monster on top of a Bailwind vortex. I think there's also a wound restriction on what can go up on there. Oh, that's right. It's got to be like nine wounds or less, or under nine wounds to go on there. So. Yeah, that's I mean, right. Definitely a monster. Like, there's no question. However, okay, he's too big for Bill. So, since you missed the last episode, and I know you don't actually listen to the show, so you probably didn't hear what me and Harrison were talking about. So this, no, I didn't. We're sitting there, and he's talking. We're all the beautiful things that Techless can do, which we didn't even realize some of them. You know, like I know he can basically dispel as much as he wants. Uh, I didn't realize that if anything affects a unit within X amount of inches of him, uh, you could just you could decide to roll a die and on a four up. It doesn't happen. So, like, you you got your spell off, but there's a 50-50 chance uh, 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 that it's still not going to affect my guys. And then if he rolls a six for that, the unit the, the, he does mortal wounds to the people who are throwing the spells. It's just like, what? That's crazy. Like, he's so good. And he's got the, you know, protection of Hish. When he casts it, it's an 18-inch range. So all this is going on, and Harrison is singing the praises of his 660-point tech list. And I said, well, if we're going to field that, they probably have to play a game where I field Nagash. So there's somebody comparable on the field. So he goes and gets the Bone Reapers book, and he's reading the rules. And I mean, Nagash is 880 points, right? 220 points more. He is a full third of the points more than Techless. And there's my son complaining to no end about Nagash and how he casts too many spells. I'm like, but your guy can literally unbind as many as he wants. And he's like, but he gets the plus. He was like so complaining. I'm like, you don't get to field Techless and then complain about anybody else. 
But that was just me saying that to him. Now, he disagrees. And I suppose you could disagree, but I just thought it was funny that the kid who's got the most magical creature in the game is complaining about the other really magical creature in the game. So, but that was just me teasing. Yeah. Him. <laughs> I, uh, I got nothing for that. I love, I love that army. I love that army. I would, I would not take it to a friendly game because I've played it. Like I said, I went a couple weeks ago, four games, zero fun because everybody was just irritated at how good that thing was and how they just had no idea. Now, granted, no one had really seen it before, and they didn't realize kill just just focus everything you have on the Cathalars. Um, to get the, and that'll start you in the right direction. But ugh, that army's so good. I would take it to a tournament. I totally would, because that's a good army. But that's neither here nor there. Until you play Deepkin, then no, nope, I kill them too. I kill them all. No, yep, I'll kill them all. You, you, you can't. Yep. Um, yeah, I will. I'll regardless. Hold. I got my. I got my. They're gonna charge me. I got my. Sp- I, I win. I win. Trust me. I win. I went, it'll be the first time I ever win against your Deepkin. I'll do it with them. It'll happen. But you know what? Nobody cares about that. What they want to hear is us get through all this crap and get to the commercial and then come back and talk about Marathi. So let's get through the other important things at the top of the show, like the Patreon sponsors. Let's thank all those Patreon patrons who make this show and everything that we do on it uh, possible. Um yeah, so the associate producers, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, AJC, Opie, and Big Jake. Uh, our executive producer, Colin Miller. There have been no new patrons in the two days since I recorded the last episode, or three days since I recorded the last episode. So we're there. But thank you all for being part of the almost 1% who make this show uh, uh, possible. And we're almost at enough patrons at this point. Um, we're almost at that level where Garage Gamer will come in, and I think well, I think I'm going to be dropping those exclusively to the patrons, uh, at least in the beginning. Give them a free shot at listening to it ahead of time, and then I'll just drop it later. But this way, you know, give, give them. Hey, you know, uh, honestly, they give all this money for nothing because they don't have to. I mean, not for nothing, but you know what I'm saying. They don't have to. The show's free. Show's going to be free. Uh, but if they're going to put that much value into it, I, I want to be able to. You know, give us something a little early, at least. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot sure. of shows, a lot of shows do that listener uh, Patreon only content. Like Heather and I both subscribe to a couple of different uh, Patreon podcasts, and it's like you can listen to the normal podcast, and then you get the extra stuff. And I did ask the patrons. I said, "Hey, what if we do the extra stuff on Patreon only?" And they're like, "Um, yeah, that's really nice." And some guy suggested maybe put it out with them for a while. And they're like, "But you know, everyone's locked at home, and everyone likes the show. If you got extra content, give it to everybody, because that's how nice our patrons are. That's how cool they are." Uh, what else? Voicemail. We have not gotten any voicemails in the last three days either. But if you wanted to leave a voicemail, you could call one seven five seven G H Show Six. That's one seven five seven G H Show Six. Most international callers dial zero zero, and then one seven five seven G H Show Six. That was that is a lot. That was in that, I mean, ugh, I'm I'm so on right now. I was thrown off by the lack of a of an introduction by you, Alex. I'm not even going to pretend to be a little less than disappointed. But no, no, Holmes. <laughs> here no. on Ontario, Michigan, Erie, Superior. What Holmes? That's how you remember the five Great Lakes. Didn't you remember that from school? 
See, you're no. not even you don't even know what's happening right now, and that it was Superman helps everyone. Yeah, except when he doesn't, because and, he and, sucks. And, and then you get, but and then you the get, point. and then you get Batman versus Superman. So listen, and that sucked. But also, it's Superman helps everyone because then it's in order going from west to east. Superman helps every Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, Ontario. What? No, that's not it. You're wrong. We're going to take a break now because I'm so disgusted. I can't even believe you come in there with some other anagram to remember things. Like there's more than one way to learn. I'm done with this. We're going to a commercial. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back. Um, and I don't know how to follow that up because I'm also I'm going to follow up with this question actually. So, how do you remember the direction points on a compass? Oh, are we going to do, do, do this? News or no? No, hang on, stop. So, is it news or is it never eat soggy waffles? Oh, it's never eat soggy waffles because you go in a circle. Yeah, but it could also be news going in a circle. That's in not a circle. a circle. No, it's not a circle. No, that's not a circle. That's messing things up. No, there's a circle. It's a compass. Don't screw around. Now, let's talk about Marathi because we've spent enough time talking about weird ways for you to learn that aren't the right way. And speaking as a teacher, listen, speaking as a teacher, there's only one way to learn. You need to understand that, and it's my way. So let's jump into this book. Harsh. Anyway, so (laughs) we should probably start – I really like the layout of this book, just in general. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, we need to talk about that because they have stepped it up here. Um, When I looked at 70-some-odd pages of backstory before we got to the the campaign rules and and the battle plans, I mean, I just remember reading the end times, and it took forever. Now, plus, that was smaller print, lots of columns. But it starts off like a Horace Heresy book with your cast of characters, your dramatis personae. But what I really enjoyed about this is they kept every section to like two pages. Yes, they kept the, they kept the story moving. They didn't get bogged down in detail. Um, 
they did have plenty of opportunity where they could have gone down the rabbit hole. Um, and they had the little box outs for the particular things that they wanted to go down rabbit holes. But it didn't drag anything. This is a very smooth read. It's not a and novel. Like, then they'll put out novels. I mean, that Marathi book is coming out at some point, I hope. I told them I wanted one from Grognards. But uh, when you say Marathi book, are you talking about the Black Library? Blood Coven's book? Or is that what it's called? I don't know. There's a Daughters of Cain like pseudo omnibus. No, no, no. It's when they when they this. when they showed this book, Marathi, in one of the advertisements from the I think it was on the community page. There was this book and there was another book that said Marathi, and that was not. And I thought that was like a Black Library book. Like I thought there was going to be a Black Library book to go along with this, like fleshing out okay. the story. Unless I misread it. I mean, I could have because you know I don't pay. It's it's you know. No, the uh, Daughters of Cain book that's coming out is called Covens of Blood, which is just like a collection of sorts stories. Huh. No, I could have. No, I guess I guess the, I was wrong then. The other Marathi book that came out, the limited edition version of this book, um, has a different f- picture of her. Oh, um, is that the one with so just her face? Yes. That's oh. the L.E. version. Oh, come on now. I wanted, I want a, I want Black Library. Yeah, it's called Covens of Blood. It's just not about this. Well, no, that, I want, I want it about this. No, 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 it doesn't mean that. Because in End Times, we had the book itself and then you had the black library accompanying book and that just became too much well okay but that book was like 300 pages and it was like 175 pages of lore and then they put out see but this is not nearly that much lore and i want that book i want i want more i want the rabbit hole i want it okay you understand i want it you want the rabbit hole you can definitely jump down it it's really a smooth read. It makes sense. It doesn't get bogged down. No, um, it's sweet. And it has a lot of stuff that harkens back to the world that was. Do we want to go over the dramatis? Uh, Just like the main players that you need to be aware of? Sure. Why not? And it really boils down to, obviously, Marathi. Yeah. Sigmar. Yeah. Slanesh. We all know who these three are. Uh-huh. Alariel Al- makes a cameo, but she's not that important in this storyline. You have arguably the single coolest Stormcast in a very long time, Kaiser Van Brecht, who is a Lord Veritant for the Anvils of the Hell and Hammer. He's pretty cool. So the black armored guys. And then the rest of this stuff, ugh, like... Is there anyone in here that we really need to mention? Like that shows up that does a Volturnus. big deal. Vol- oh yeah, Volturnus. Uh, yeah, I mean he 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 gets some stuff rolling, but we don't see much of that. I mean that's more set up. It almost seems like for the next book. Um, it's so we have Volturnus, and then we have Glavia Sinhart. Yes, who is a Slaneshi herald. Um, and then you have the Sovereign. The Black Scale Coil, and then Drusa Kraith, who is a sorceress working for the Black Scale Coil in Anvil Guard. Right. And she's in. Like, yeah. those are the main players. Uh huh. So you get that listed out, you get this little prophecy, and then we jump into the book. Now, one of the things that I, I liked in this very first part, 
is they talk about how um, how the th- they set up all these big cities, but there's not enough stormcast to protect it all, and not every and you don't have that alliance like you used to. Even though Sigmar has come back and has started to reforge those alliances, like everyone's sort of trying to pick and defend their own. You know, like put things back together. So a lot of times he get he can't get guys out there uh, as quickly as they want as uh, you know as they as they want to, and places are getting destroyed. Bone Reapers are are constantly on the move, messing things up. Um, and then I like this part when they talk about how in the eight points, and uh, Nagash is still upset at at the. Uh, Archeon for you know almost killing him so he goes there and Catacros brings them in not only does he invade the eight points he sets up a place like and Archeon goes in there has to go in there himself and cuts down uh Catacross. but of course you can't cut him down because his spirit just goes back and then they put him in a, a new body that's like waiting for him so very convenient very wonderful um but then it comes the weirdest part in this book I think, and it's right here in the beginning. So he his armies raised an immense structure, this is Catacros, known as the Ark's Terminus, in front of the Shyish Arkway. The fortress citadel, crafted from the skeletal remains of defeated foes, stands as Nagash's first foothold within the Everchosen's territories. Catacros, too, endures his unliving existence installed into a new and polished ivory form, already pro- plotting fresh conquest. The Mortark expected immediate and terrible retribution from Archaon, but to his surprise, the Everchosen has yet to lay siege to Ark's Terminus. Okay, Archeon has become the freaking boogeyman of this of this game. Yes. He really is the boogeyman. Like, he's terrifying. Everybody's afraid of him. Nobody really wants to face him. And but he but he doesn't always show up either. Like you literally just took part of his realm from him. Not taking the gates, not closing off the gates, not keeping him from coming through the gates to your side. They're on his side of the gates, building fortifications to defend on that side. And you'd expect, basically, especially after you read his stuff with his Varengard, who are just like, uh, each one of them can kill a bajillion people all on their own. And you're thinking, well, why haven't they yet? But all of a sudden, it's like, oh, look, we built a fortress. He'll be here any second. Nope. He's off doing something else now. That's almost scarier. Uh, he left. Uh, he he's gonna. You know he's gonna be back. Like he ain't just gonna let this lie, right? So I just thought it was so cool how he just he pulls away. And nobody knows why, but everybody's scared of what it might mean. And I just think that that's really really cool. Um, it, they've just turned. They've turned Archeon into such a boogeyman, which is great because the, 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 at, at, the, at, at the power level that he seems to be at, if he was constantly active running through all the mortal realms, it seems like they would just fall, like nothing can really stand in front of him. Well, that's the thing. He is running through all the mortal realms. He just can't be everywhere at once. That's the issue. And he doesn't stick around the Varen Spire. Doesn't so, he? I mean, I kind of thought he, he did. Oh, he doesn't. Okay, no. so he's running through the realms. All right. There's an empty. There's an empty throne. Oh, that's right. In the Varenspire that he refuses to sit on until he has conquered all eight of the mortal realms. Aha. Uh-huh. So he is always out doing stuff. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that bit of lore. 
but that's the thing. He's just he's always on the move. He doesn't sit still. He goes where he needs to be. Him accepting that the arcs terminus arcs terminus is there is just part of the process. He's got a bigger picture that he's working towards, and that's the scarier thing that you're talking about is that he's not even caring about the gate. He's got other things he needs to worry about. So right. what are those? That's the question of the unknown. The thing I don't understand is how come Catacross can come back, but then the Sigmar uh, souls cannot. Because like in the background for Warcry and everything, it's like when the Stormcasts go in there, it is certain death if you die that you're not going to get reforged. You're just dead. Your soul's gone. It's not going to get back to his ear. How come he can go back to Shyish? Because it's a different it's a different type of rege- re- reformation. He doesn't burst mm-hmm. into lightning and go flying back. He does something different. Well, in just fact, if his soul if, like poofs out like Casper or something, it doesn't. Don't know what to tell I you. I don't know. Unless because all anyway. the dead souls go to Shyish, apparently. So I mean, he's actually going back home, whereas. You know, this the Stormcast are doing something different. But mm-hmm. but what's important here, what's really important here, is the thing we're gonna we're about to find out, which is a couple of things, which is that Archaon um Archaon's followers are harvesting this ultra rare form of realmstone that is only in the all points. Uh, and Marathi wants it, okay? And she realizes that attacking the all points is is crazy, but this is what she needs. She needs this ultra-rare form of realm stone, and um, it's called Varanite. Of course it is. And it's, they, they, they find a, a huge supply of it, and as soon as Archeon finds out about it, he he sends it, and they start they start basically you know mining it, getting it out, getting all this stuff out. It's kind of like lava, it seems like, doesn't it? It's a little more than lava, but they mean, talk about how like it can splash on things, and you see faces um, that come screaming out of it. Right. I mean, well, I mean, it's it's realmstone, but it's, but it's in that hot. Yeah, it's in that hot liquid state. Is what I was saying. Um, right. That's its natural state. And like like you said, it does. When you splash it on things, you see like screaming faces. Um, and what's so important about this is is that its power to mutate things uh, is being used to great effect by Archeon because he is using it to try to open the gate to Azir from the all points. Um, we all know that all the gates to Azir are sealed, and they have to be opened from both sides. That was the whole start of the Realm Wars, where they had to get down there and fight their way to it and break it open from the outside and the inside at the same time. Um, but apparently, if you take Varanite and you smear that stuff all over the Realm Gate, all the sigils, all the signs, all the things that make that Realm Gate work, all, and all the things that have been placed there to lock that Realm Gate down... Uh, it starts to eat away through it and corrupt it, and so as they're uh-huh. as they're mining all this stuff, it's going directly to being used to break down the gate in Azir, 
and this is a huge and important point in the story, not so much because they break through the gate to his ear because if they did that, this would be a completely different game. Um, but the point of this is Marathi wants This it, is the hook that Marathi uses. And this is what she Sigmar used. to help her. Exactly. Because um, Sigmar doesn't trust her at all. Um and it's and you it's, you can't be and sig but but she has a plan and she wants to get in there, and she can get and, and she's she says she can get him in without being as noticed as quickly because the problem is as soon as Sigmar sends Stormcast in there they're pretty easily identifiable, and the alarm goes up and they just get attacked by everyone from all sides at all times, and that's the only way she's going to get Sigmar to trust her because. Sigmar doesn't trust her because everybody knows better than to trust Marathi. Is it worth mentioning how she knows this? Yes. Go ahead. Um, so this ties into the Warcry Catacombs expansion, honestly, um, featuring the Canine Shadowstalkers, which are her spies and assassins. Um, they flicker in and out, walking the shadowways or something to that extent. But they're the ones that infiltrate Varanthrax's maw, and they're the ones that find out about the Varanite and what it does. And she then takes that information and is convinced that she can use this to achieve her ultimate goal, which is to ascend to godhood. So that is where it comes from. That's how she knows where everything is. Like, this is how she got her information, and she has these spies on the inside of the of the eight points. And it even just ties into something as simple as Warcry to now take it to a grander scale from there. So things are starting to get interwoven in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of cool if you the, play that, yeah, how they're 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 weaving everything together through the different systems. And even the location of Anthrax's Maw is in the Bloodwind Spoil, which is where Warcry, for posterity's sakes, is set, is in the Bloodwind Spoil. So... It was just kind of like a weird thing that was kind of ancillary, but now it is being put right at the forefront of one of the largest story arcs that we've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. So, and you get um, some. We have. Go ahead. We have this uh, mass repository. It can only be siphoned up and collected using bore worms, which are like these massive maggots, essentially that go in and like slurp up all the Varanite. And then have to like regurgitate it. I thought they pooped it. Either way, it goes in one end and and it comes comes out out either the the same end or the other. And it's how they have to mine and process the Varanite. So, Varanite itself is also very hard to turn into weapons, it is very hard to forge. The process is extremely difficult. Um, So, as such, Varanite weapons are few and far between. So when I had read this, it's like, okay, well, why haven't they weaponized this and turned it into something to support their armies and their war effort? It's because it's incredibly difficult to refine. So just to yep. no, good tie up a few loose ends. Uh, there's a couple of pages here on Marathi. Uh, basically, we all know about Marathi. Uh, she's a snake, both phys- both literally and figuratively. Um she is playing everybody, 
Like all of her followers think she's trying to resurrect Kane. She does have the iron heart of Kane, but that's it. There is no more to get. There is nothing to do. Um, she is trying to use that as part of her ritual to give herself the power of Cain, basically. She's going to make herself a god. Um, ever since she escaped from Slanesh, she's been using her powers of obfuscation to sneak out extra souls from Slanesh that are supposed to be split evenly between Teclas and Tyrion and Marathi and Malarian. Uh, she's been taking extras. Um that is also screwing up the balance of keeping Slanesh in chains, and that is part of the reason that he is on the verge of breaking free. Uh, the Necroquake didn't help, but uh, he's been slowly breaking his bonds one by one and then using his ultimate powers of obfuscation to make it look like they're still holding him. Uh, but she's been screwing that up as well, trying to get to godhood. And I love the part where it's like, you know, she's trying to do all this stuff, and then it's like she's going to get back at Slanesh, and then then at the end of it, it's just like, oh, now she, you know, and she's going to get back at Tyrion and Teclis for looking down at her. She's going to get back at, at, at Sigmar for treating her like less. Nagash would be forced to pay for his insults and provocations because, remember, he's the one who pushed her to switch forms in front of the whole the whole pantheon of the uh, the gods of order. Um, yeah, she's totally on a revenge. Like, I, I'll show you. I'll, I'll become a god, and then you'll all. Oh! It's like, ugh, not even equal. She's just going to. She's going to make them all suffer because she's petty. But um, so we get into this. We I don't get, know if it's necessarily that she's petty. She's petty. So much as she don't if think you she's were petty. the only. No, I didn't. It's a little more complicated than that. If you were the one character that came in from the world that was, if you are the oldest, like literally the oldest one that had made it into the mortal realms, that your son has ascended to godhood, that all of your enemies or former allies or whatever have now ascended to godhood, and you're the only one that hasn't, you're left out. No, and, and she's and she's thing. trying to ascend to godhood, but it's that. And then when I get to be a god, then I'll show them all. That's where the petty's coming in. Mm, okay. The I'll show them. I'm going to get them back because they didn't think that much of me. Nobody thinks that much of you because you're horrible. You are horrible. Marathi is horrible. She's horrible. That's all there is to it. You may love her. You may hate her. You may think she's great to play with. You may love to play that army. But there's no denying she is kind of the worst. And that's not I, I don't hate her and I don't dislike her and I'm not calling her names. That's her character. She is just so I mean, I mean, we haven't seen Malarian come back yet, but I would just uh, she is the most duplicitous and just she is such a snake in every sense of the word. But that's not even what's important. What's important is we get to the war war clouds here. So. Marathi and them, Marathi, hey, by the way, um, did you know that, that Archeon's going to break through? Uh, yeah, that's what we found out. So now there's Sigmar, and he's got Marathi there, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, and no, Everybody knows we have to stop this, but nobody knew what they should do. Um, they're, once again, the... The problem here is that everybody's got their people out defending the realms. 
they're out defending all the different realms. Everybody's stretched thin, not just the Stormcast Eternals. Everybody is stretched thin because chaos is coming in on every front in every realm. And the gods are like, they, they, they just don't have enough to send to stop this. And Marathi's like, don't worry, I have a plan. And Sigmar's like, I bet you do. And, of course, he doesn't trust her. But basically, she's going to send in the big strike force at one point to be the distraction. And then second, the smaller force that she'll take would go in through the underground, get up there, and get to the thing and stop this from happening. Uh, With her own sorcery and the aid of um, Sigmar's guys, she can open a portal to the void the great nothingness between the realm spheres, and the Varanite would drain out into the void, and then you can't get it back. That's what she tells him she's going to do. That's actually not a bad plan. Like, it makes sense. It's like a heist movie. Yeah, I mean, well, you know what? It's also, it's very, very Lord of the Ringsy. We're all going to go here, and all the eyes will be on, on this big unit, while our small team is going to go off to the side here and do an end run and try to get over to the Lava Mountain. Except now we're going to drain the lava mountain into the void. And now Sigmar knows something's up. He knows not to trust her, right? Um, But (sighs) he also didn't have much choice because Tyrion and Teclis are kind of ticked at him because of the whole twisting their gifts for the knowledge things and using them to hide his... uh, the storm Deep vaults. Deep engines with the storm vaults. Yep. Uh, Alariel is still fighting Nurgle on every front in her own place, so he doesn't have really anyone else to go to. And so she's like, "Up, ah, let's let's use." You know, he kind of has to go with it. And so there, and and she specifically asks for help from the anvils of the Helden Hammer. Um. She had fought with them before, and she says she understands them, that they can work together. Their shield walls are perfect for what they're doing. Um, and, of course, so she, she's like, these guys are perfectly suited for the job. So Sigmar says, okay, uh, except that they're all in, um, where are they? What's the, what's the town? Um, where's the Black Anvil Keep? Guard. Yeah, at Anvil Guard. So That's where the, next, the Black Nexus The Black Nexus, Nexus yeah, they're Stormkeep. And so they're like, okay, we're stretched kind of thin here too, but of course, Sigmar, we'll send whoever you need us to send. So they send almost everyone they can spare to go with her. This is some clever stuff because when you get – you finish reading it, now you come back and I'm hitting it on that second go-through as we're talking about it, and I'm like, oh, you can see she's got everything thought out. Um. Because then we get to the where... big thing is she wants the sacrosanct stuff. Yeah, like those are the most offensive. They're the ones that understand magic, so she wants the best of the best from the Stormcast. So it seems a naturally it's a bit shady, but you know, right? But it's there. also this is what I need in this realm because it's this is this is what I'm going to need to be able to pull off this dropping this stuff into the void. Mm-hmm. Now. What else is happening here is that um, remember when Teclis went and said there's some darkness in these in these uh, in these uh, elves that I pulled out 
And so he shined that big fancy light at them just to burn yes, out. Yes, his all-seeing light of trauma. Yes, and then he hurt the elves so bad that they ran away forever. Well, that was called the Ocarian Lantern, and they stole it. They stole it from Teclas when they left because they didn't want him using it ever again on them. So it turns out that the fish elves have this super lantern. And this is, and it, this li- but now the thing is, before he used it on them, the light had a different purpose. And it was that light that drew the souls out of Slanesh. In that darkness, they, they were drawn to the light of this lantern. This is what pulled them out initially. This is how he got them out. Um, and then he used it to try to purify them, and then it tormented them, and that they hated it, so they ran away. And then they became they became the. I'm just. You could chime in here anytime. I'm just trying to. I'm just. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It, it's okay. Yeah. The, what? What are they? The, the, the deepkin. Yes. Um, so deepkin. Yes. So they take the lantern and they take it to the darkest, darkest spot they could find, where no, no light will come through, and that's in the realm of life. And they've got it hidden there. And guess what? Marathi steals it. Uh, she sends in the right teams, the right guys. They go down to the depths, and they steal the light. Um, is there anything I should add here? I mean, there's some exciting stuff, but the point is they stole the light. Yeah, they stole the lantern, and this was, again, using her shadow stalkers um, that were able to get into the deepest trenches of the sea that they've buried the lantern in. Um, and... This is working with uh, one of the, I don't know, there he is, um, Taras Nightscour. He is a Black Ark Corsair uh, right. fleet master from the free city of Misthaven. So he helps lead this expedition to f- essentially like capture Deepkin to torture them and <laughs> figure out where the lantern is and then... That's where Marathi sends the teams at that point. So, right, and that was the. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so they um, get the lantern, mm-hmm. and then next part of her of her plan is they they have to go in through a very certain gate close enough. Okay, um, you can't go by lightning because apparently, see, this is this is this is what I thought made it very clear what we were talking about earlier with, um, the difference between. The Stormcast and the the Death guys, uh, they can't even get in. They, they can't even lightning into the Varen Spire. Like they will get caught by the Chaos Gods and all the Chaos Energy if they're trying to to whip right through there. So they can't get in on lightning. So they also can't get out on lightning when if they get killed. Um, so they got to come in through a gate. And Marathi's like the closest gate has to go through Gyran through the Realm of Life. Um. Only the Genesis gates will get us close enough. Now, the Ever Queen, this, this is Illyrial's big cameo. She basically says, okay, look, if you have to go through here, if this is how you have to go, fine, I'll let you use the gate. But I, I'm not giving you any troops. And so they're like, well, okay. Well, I guess we'll just use the gate then, which is perfect because she really doesn't want them there. Because she has a plan and it doesn't involve them. She's such a... This is... 
This is fantastic. You say she, you mean Marathi. Yes, Marathi does not want any of the uh, of the um, Sylvanath there. Yeah, she she goes. Yeah, she she's got a plan. She knows how to deal with the ones she's bringing. She just wants to get through. So she comes in and begs for help and the gate and and. And here is Alario thinking she's making a concession by saying, well, you can use the gate, but I won't give any guys, which is exactly what Marathi wanted. She came in bargaining for way more than she knew she was going to get and got exactly what she wanted. That's it's it's really well done. So they go through the gates and um, well, she needed Sigmar's help to convince Alario to let it go. Right, because but she knew Olerio she was going to get it. Trust her, but she needed Sigmar, who has helped Olerio. Well, and she knew he would talk her into it because right. he ha- this mission had to happen because he had to get that he could not let the gate get stopped. You know. Um, now I think it's interesting that uh, basically she does give one bit of help. Um, as the gate opens, she just like rushes through all this pure, beautiful water through the gate. Like they get washed in there, and it comes through, and it just sort of washes away any enemies that are right in front of them right away. This purifying, pure water. It sort of it makes me think of like something from Lord of the Rings, from like the from like Lothlorien or something like that. The pure, perfect water rushing through. Um, well, it's also the Genesis Gate itself is a waterfall. Right. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mention that, did I? No. So when they open it and they go through, the water's rushing through with them. But this cold, I mean, it's, 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 a, it describes it as a tsunami sweeping out to clear the land surrounding the mouth of the Genesis Gate, swallowing vast swaths of land. Emerging from the arcway in a corona of lightning comes the Stormcast Eternals. Uh,. And not a single defender of the Kyran Arcway escapes alive because those that weren't washed away were suddenly outnumbered and just getting pummeled. This is so cool as they're coming through here, right? Um, mm-hmm. What else next? There's a lot of things happening here. This is where it starts to get – this is where all the parts start moving together, which is why I'm so glad every little section is like two pages, okay? Um, you know, they come in – yeah, and they basically wipe out all of the all of the uh, guys that are stopping in their way. Um, you know, it's you, the the uh, daughters of Cain, of course, are rushing through and just being vicious and brutal. And of course, the Stormcast are looking at them, going like, "Ugh, they're the worst. Look at how awful these guys are. They're just this is." This is why nobody trusts them. They're savages. You know, Marathi's in there doing all the. It's basically it's just, it's a route. But what's important is that um, once she gets in, they leave some of the stormcaster left behind here to defend the gate. But once again, now you've got even fewer stormcast running through with this main plan. Right, um, and that was. Part of it is that they still need to secure their way out. Right. And this is where, the, again, the plan is. Yes, the plan is in motion. Uh, but this, you get a little bit about Glavia Sinhart, the Eater of Dreams. She's the uh, the the, the Slaneshi, uh, uh, like, prophet. 
And, she's a herald. Oh, herald. Um, sorry. Yeah. So her whole thing is that she sees what's going on. She sees uh, Marathi coming through. She's the one that initiated the prophecy of progenesis, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, prophecy of Petrician, um, which is like that prophecy that they talk about where something will be born of Slanesh, pretty much. Um, and she sees Marathi coming and she essentially like she sees this whole process going from the dreams that she's had. So then she races back to warn um, the idolator Lord that serves the gaunt summoner who is in charge of excavating all of the Varanite of this is what's coming. So right. they're not completely caught unawares. Right. So they get in there and they got to break up into three groups. You've got the one group who is uh, with the Hollowed Knights who is securing the Genesis Gate. Okay. The second is mostly Rangers and infiltration people, and they're going ahead with some of the Daughters of Cain, and they're hitting out, they're just, they're scouting out ahead reporting back the information, and also if it's smaller things, they're just clearing them out, just clearing out the smaller outposts, um, just wiping them out and clearing a path for them to come through. And then Lord Celestine Nihilat will go with, uh, he's the one who's attacking the Maw. He's the guy who is drawing all the attention to himself. So while that's going on, Marathi and her group are running around doing the doing the end run trying to get to the uh the Varanite. Um I like that they uh while and, and Marathi's playing and she's got every this is like when you watch Ocean's Eleven, the you know, not the original with the with the rat pack, but the newer one. Um with George Clooney and them. Well, not new, it's old now. But it's like you get this whole story and you see everything happening and you don't realize how many wheels they have in motion in the background, how many st- things they have set up before, like all the all the plates that are spinning before they get to this is just fantastic. And like I've already read through this twice. I read it once and took some notes for the show, and then I skimmed through it again because you get to see all the little second viewing. It's much clearer how much work she's put into this. Um. Because she sent people out to see Catacros at the Ark Star, you know, to see what's going on. And um, she basically brought a huge tithe of bones to him. Um, yeah. Shadow-infused bones lying around the realm of Ulgu. Yeah. She's basically picking up. She brings him all these bones and says, look, um, I'll give you all this if you guys will do me a favor and uh, attack the Varen Spire. You don't have to win. I don't care. Just you need to keep them. You need to keep them busy for X amount of time. And in exchange, I'll give you all this bone. And he's like, "Yeah, sure. That's like what we're here for. Bones. They work for the bones. Dem bones. Yep. And so, and 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 guess what? Guess who wasn't told about this part of the plan? Naturally, it was Sigmar. Yeah, because they're involved in the Soul War still. Yeah, Sigmar is still ticked off at Nagash, and and Nagash is uh, is at war with with Azir. Uh, he would not be cool with this, but it doesn't matter because we just, what what Sigmar doesn't know won't hurt us. 
and then basically they're going through and they're fighting their way through, doing everything they're supposed to be. Um, and they're doing a good job. You know, the Stormcasts have got their shield wall marching forward. They're holding the line. They're good. You know, they, they've got solid defense. And whatever they're not killing, suddenly the Daughters of Cain go flying over them to slaughter anything that they can't get through to. And this is days of this. Days of this is going on before they actually get to where they're going. Um, right. It's a massive forced march because the Bloodwind Spoil is actually located in between um, the gates for the Realm of Fire and Metal. Right. So there is still quite a long ways to haul. Right. And uh, it, it, here's the thing. The Stormcast aren't stupid. Nihilet, Lord Celeste at Nihilet, he's like, they haven't, they haven't met anything that is a real, like, he knows that this is not the, the full force that could be brought against them. And it's got to be obvious to, they've been marching for days. There's no way that, that the people in charge of the All Points don't know that these guys are marching through and doing this. And he's, he's not stupid. He's like, why haven't they sent out a huge force to stop us? Like, there's no reason to keep sending out small forces that are losing when you have the entire realm you can send against us. So he knows something weird's going on. He doesn't know if that means that they've caught Marathi or her group or if they know about it. All he knows is that something's not right. Which is the smartest feeling you can have when you're dealing with Marathi. Um, all right, Shadows and Treachery is next. Do we want to take a quick break and then get uh, up to yeah, the, Or you know what? Let's finish Act 1. Let's try to finish Act 1. There you go. Let's get through this really quick. So um, what, what Shadows and Treachery, what happens in here? here? Uh, oh, so this is where they get to the... They get to the... They get to the the stuff. They get where they're supposed. To, so there is the giant, vast bowl pit of the liquid. You see the the worms sucking it up. All this stuff. There's all this varanite, uh, and they go after it and they attack. Uh, Archeon's forces have had ta- has, have taken most of it, but not all of it. And basically, what the worms. What's still inside the worms would be enough for what they need. There's almost none of it left. They've mined most of it, but if we can just get the worms, we can we can stop. Well, you know, we just get that out. That'll we, we'll we'll do a good job. Um, they think they're yeah, going. Yeah, we should also mention that Marathi and her crew are hauling cauldrons of blood. Uh, oh, down that's right. Into the uh, Varanthrax's maw because. For her purposes, and her explanation to Sigmar is that's going to help her magic to create the uh, portal to the void. So this way it can just go away. But what they're actually serving is that those are feeding back into the mother cauldron in Hagnar. So this is where she does most of her rituals or she bathes in blood. um, That sort of thing where she draws her power from. So essentially what's going to happen is if her plan works, she's going to drain all this Varanite into the cauldrons to then feed via whatever shadow way to get right back to her home base in Hagnar. Right, because in Hagnar is where she's going to do the ritual to become a god and she needs the Varanite. Now what's cool here, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story, 
Marathi's coming with her cauldrons. She's supposed to open a portal to the void and dump it all out. But she's lying. She's not opening a portal to the void. She's opening a portal to her home, just as you explained right now. You've got her people and the Stormcast fighting off all these attackers so that she can work on her ritual. That's the plan. We're all defending her so that she can do the ritual with her hag queens that are doing this with the from Cauldrons of Blood. And it's working great. I mean, they're losing. They're losing. You know, Stormcast are dying. Um, uh, you know, Daughters of Cain are dying. But they're protecting these and the ritual's going. And then one Lord Arcanum Vendors, uh, Venerdreish? Venerdreish. I mean, that's what I'm calling it, Venerdreish. Um, she saw something that wasn't right. Her eyes were not going to be tricked. Remember, Marathi is the queen. You know, she, much like Slanesh, can, can form deceptions, can create illusions, you know, in the shadow realm. This is what she's good at is illusions. And what she realizes is that what seems to be a bunch of witch elves fighting with them is all illusion. And she realizes that the Stormcast are surrounded by enemies and there are no witch elves helping them, that they're all sneaking away and getting the the cauldrons moving again. And she's like, oh, my God. She's like, this is no good. We have to do something. And she tries to do something. Um but as soon as she goes to warn them, there's, of course, you know, Marathi's ready for this in case anybody realizes it. And she hits them with the paralyzing venom. Um, this is an important point to this story. Uh, paralyzing venom. Because you don't want the Stormcast who realize what's going on to die. Because right. if they die, and apparently, uh, apparently they can go back to Azir from this place because... They're doing it. Um, but if they realize what's going on and they get back to Azir, they'll warn Sigmar. So they that have, he's been double-crossed. Yes. So they wind up paralyzing her and keeping her there, trapped, uh, while she's watching all of her stormcast around her get cut down and killed. Uh, it's really just fantastic. Um and once they get all that, they basically leave the Stormcast to die. And they start pulling out with what they need. They have what they need. They got it all, you know, they got all the stuff through. The Varanite went through. Um, and uh, so they're, they're taking off. And what winds up happening is when Lord Celestine Nihilet gets to where he's going, he's the distraction. Um, it's a huge army. He's just so screwed. And he realized he's got to fight it. And there, it's, it's a big battle. Um, there's a long battle going on that uh, the one, um, the Sinheart. Yeah, she warned there. the Idolator Lord, um, Rorkard Gresh, who is essentially, this is his only number in this whole book. Um, he's protecting Varanthrax's Maw for the Eater of Tomes. And she shows up and says, hey, look, you've got trouble coming. They're going to be attacking here. 
just amass your forces and just wait and just wait. And he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go out and attack them, attack them, because it's so, like, counter to their philosophy. These are, like, blood-mad zealots um, that are just absolutely bananas. And he doesn't really trust this servant of Slanesh, because how could he trust, you know, something inherently duplicitous? Well, she rides a chariot like I do. <laughs> so I think she's okay. Yeah. And that is literally his logic to trust her. And, and you know what? Um, she rides chariot. And both of their both of their mentors were named Martha. Just throwing that out there. So yep. I didn't see that. Was that in a box out? Yep. You missed the box out. They're in the, both both okay. of their mommies are named Martha. So um, there's some interesting stuff there where they they're going through and they're looking to find the. The leaders to fight and to catch, and I'm like, oh, that's the eye of the gods table. <laughs> like, that's literally, they're, they're, you know, it, once again, you know, when the rules in the story mesh so perfectly, he's riding out to find the most worthy opponents to kill to catch the eye of the chaos gods. Um, mm-hmm. All of the battles happening. What's really important here uh, is that they're coming out with chaos war shrines. And. The war icons had been forged from Varanite. And when they uh when they come when over they capture enough souls, they then start to mutate into everything chaos around them, turning them into spawn. Which while spawn are not great when there's enough of them that don't die and they just drag you down through sheer weight and lashing tentacles. It it's enough, but yeah. So now the sigils don't only fuel the warriors, um, but the stormcast. It sucks the stormcast in through mm-hmm. the war shrines. It's so powered up that it's it's pulling them in uh, through the war shrines. Now then we get this last story portion, which is fantastic, uh, and basically what happens is. They know that they're all going to get sucked into this ritual and they're going to be tortured and they'll never get back to Azir um, if this works. So they go after the war shrines. They basically, uh, Van Brecht, the the one guy who comes up, uh, Kaiser Van Brecht, he's a Lord Veritant. Um, they basically attack the war shrines to do just enough so that they can try. He basically is the only soul that manages to get out. They they break down enough of the war shrines where they can kind of get out, but once once they see them broken, the other ones sort of like kick it up a notch, uh, and they manage with less war shrines to just increase the energies through them and hold them back. So this is he's the only guy to get through, and he's got to go warn <laughs> Sigmar. That bad things are going to happen, and this is uh, that's that's an important point because he is getting racing toward the light, um, and the the other guys know as they're dying that they may not get out, but he's got to get there. Someone's got to warn Sigmar about what's going on, and that's the end of Act One is him getting out there and warning Sigmar. Uh, by the way, uh, looks like we've been double crossed. Yeah, and. He well no it's not even so much that they got double crossed it's so much that they're just getting massacred because he again doesn't know what's going on underneath oh that's right all he knows is that his troops are getting massacred this whole expedition on the upper portion has essentially failed um 
and obviously there's they're losing souls, so they need to tell him. And after destroying one of the war shrines, Van Brecht um, is so grievously wounded that Nihilet has to kill him in order to get his soul back. To oh, that's right. That's Sigmar right. Now. That's right. Because that's kind of sad. Because he's like, you know, yeah. Okay, I do remember that. That's right. That's important. Um, but then that's what happens. That's the end of Act One, and they get up, and he's he's heading back to Warren Sigmar. And we'll come right back with Act Two. Act Two takes place. Uh, a bunch of it takes place in uh, in Hagnar. So we'll see yeah. what happens in Hagnar when we get back. The barbarian turned at the last moment, just in time to catch Van Breck's descending blade in the temple. The scar-faced human's eyes rolled over white, and the Lord Veritant ran on. Through a mass of bodies, he saw Lord Celestin Nihilet, his golden armor and broadsword splattered with gore, surrounded by the corpses of dead heathens. Nihilet's Drakoth lay slain beside him, great gouges torn in its scaled hide. A half-dozen retributors formed a circle about their lord. "'You're late, Kaiser,' the Lord Celestin said as Van Brecht approached. "'And yet I prayed to Sigmar that you would not arrive at all. There is no escape from this valley.' The enemy's blasphemous shrines, said Van Brecht. Somehow they have severed our connection to the storm. Both turned to look upon the nearest of the fell devices, casting its foul light across a churning mass of bodies. The eight-pointed icon atop the shrine blazed with unholy flames. As long as those cursed things stand, our souls are forfeit, said the Lord Veritant. They must be destroyed. Nihilid grimaced. Lots of degenerate savages in our path. I did not come alone, said Van Brecht. Even as he spoke, blood-curdling cries filled the air. The pale forms of witch elves surged forth, leaping in graceful somersaults, opening throats with every slice of their shining daggers. Leather-winged canaries swept down over the heads of the chaos worshippers, screeching in delight as they slashed away with cruel sickles. They find too much joy in this, said Nihilette. Today they have my forgiveness, Van Breck replied. Nihilat rallied the nearby warriors to his command, and they began to force a path to the war shrine. The shrine master atop the graven altar noticed their advance and began to point and shriek in the vile tongue of the enemy, urging his flock forward. The baying tide of barbarians rushed at the advancing stormcast, hurling themselves upon the retributors without any care for their own lives. The paladins stood their ground, clearing a path with sweeping blows of their mauls. The closer Van Breck drew to the altar, the more terrible the aura of wrongness became. It swirled about them like a choking shroud, blistering their armor and scorching the flesh beneath. The ground transformed into a fleshy mire, and fanged tentacles protruded from the filth, winding about their ankles. It was all Van Breck could do to put one foot in front of the other, to hack away the repulsive tendrils seeking to drag him down. Reaching the foot of the shrine, the Stormcasts found themselves face to face with a massive mutant who carried it aloft. Pallid, swollen things, they lashed out with tentacle limbs and club-like fists. Lord Celestine Nihilate's blade sank into the chest of one, and with a gurgling howl it collapsed to its knees, sending the entire structure lurching to the side. Then Breck leapt upon the teetering platforms, confronting the Hornhelm Shrine Master. The wretch began to chant the words of some unclean spell, but Van Brecht raised his lantern of abjuration and let loose a beam of cleansing light. 
The Shrine Master recoiled, screaming in pain and clutching his melted eyes. Then Brecht hurled him aside. He now stood in the full glare of the Shrine. He could feel his skin blistering and running like wax beneath his armor, but still he held the lantern high. It was all that shielded him from the deadly emanations. Destroy it, Nihalat! He managed to choke out. I cannot hold! The Lord Veriton saw a flash of gold as his companion rushed past and the thunderous ringing of metal striking metal. Retributors clambered up alongside the Lord Celestin, smashing their hammers into the graven image. Cracks ran along the surface of the shrine, and with a deafening blast, it exploded in a hail of red-hot shards. Then Brecht was thrown free of the carriage. He struck the earth hard and felt the crunch of bone as his spine shattered. He lay there, unable to raise his head, blood bubbling in his throat. Through a bloody haze, he saw the towering form of Lord Celestant Nihilat. His comrade knelt, clasping Van Breck's shoulder. It is done, said Nihilat, but we have destroyed only one of many. Our options are few, my friend. One yet remains, said Van Brecht. Nihilat's gray eyes bored into him, understanding. We cannot know what will happen, the Lord Celestant said. Trust to the God King, Van Brecht said, and strike true. Nihilat's sword punched through the joint between chestplate and placard and sank deep into Van Brecht's chest. There was a brief moment of pure, white-hot agony, followed by a spreading numbness. Nihilat's blood-smeared face began to fade from Van Brecht's sight. May your journey be swift, came Lord Celestin's voice, growing more distant with every word. Warn Azir of what has befallen us. The world dissolved in a flash of blinding white. That which had been Kaiser von Brecht was swept along on a trail of cerulean energy, racing towards the bruised sky. It was not alone. Across the churning battlefield, other bolts of pure blue-white lightning broke for freedom. The spirits of fallen Stormcast called home upon the storm. The Eight Points would not relinquish its prey so easily. The enemy's wretched icons blazed with sorcerous power, and lashing tendrils of crimson energy reached forth to snatch the fleeing spirits from the sky. Caught like hooked fish, they were dragged into the burning embrace of the Chaos Shrines. Van Breck's disembodied spirit raced on through layers of blood-stained clouds, hungering coils flailing and grasping at its passing. Ahead, through the vile maelstrom, it could feel a pinprick of radiance penetrating the stratosphere like a beam of sunlight spearing into a dark water. That which had been Venbrecht raced toward the light and freedom, even as the hungering coils closed in around it. That's right, friends. Grognard Games in Roselle, Illinois, and at grognardgames.com. They are now open daily from 12 to 7 for your gaming pleasure. Now, if you want, you can go into the store, find what you need. Not comfortable going into the store, even with a mask on? Call them up for curbside pickup. Or order online at grognardgames.com. They've got what you need. They've got Warhammer. They've got Dungeons & Dragons. They've got Marvel Crisis Protocol. They've got Battletech. They've got a huge pre-owned section, and you can find it on grognardgames.com or in the store. Now, you can't play in the store right now. Still got to have social distancing protocols, and if I got to stay more than six feet away from you, 
probably can't play a game of Magic. Probably going to be pretty difficult to play a game of Warhammer either. But you can still get all your hobby needs met at Grognards. Because as the world starts to reopen and your hobbying starts to take off again, you know you're going to need stuff. And you can find it at Grognards. And why? You know why. Because there's always something happening at Grognards. And we're back. We're back with Act 2. Um, Act 2. Rise of a Goddess. The Rise of a Goddess, which should kind of tell you what's going to happen in this one. Um, you get a little bit of the layout of Marathi's realm. Um, it's pretty interesting. What's what's important here is this, is, this reminds me of all the times that uh, Nagash tried to pull off some sort of ridiculously complicated... Uh, realm changing sort of thing uh, It has to be exact Precision um, Because not only is Cain's blood perhaps the deadliest substance In all the realms but if this was tainted There would be no telling if she would ever get more uh, Marathi is going to Remake herself she needs Cain's blood That they got she has the iron heart Of Cain she has the The Varanite um, And so she has actually built a lot of realms around places of power because this is the big, this is, I mean, even her realms, the building of her realms. So this is, this plan has gone back hundreds, if not thousands of years. This is when she started putting this plan into motion once they captured Slanesh. Yes. That was when this whole thing got started. Um, and, we haven't had a story or major arc set in Ulgu until right now. Yeah. Everything has been primarily in the other realms, except for light shadow. And then obviously Azir, there's only so much you can do. So this is our first serious foray into Ulgu. And even having the map um, for the Dominion of, Dominion of Shadrach, um, which pretty, is like... yeah. Even if you look at it um, and how it's laid out with the waters and everything like that, it's very, like, misty and kind of smoky. If you look at the water, it's, like, whirls. So it even, like, that small of a detail implies, like, mist, fog, et cetera, et cetera. So I found this map particularly interesting. No, um, it's great. But I like maps, so... It's great. Sorry. Go and um, one of the real interesting things is they've got all these watchtowers. And one of the towers got attacked by a Slaneshi host looking for, obviously looking for Slaanesh. Um, and they find, they, 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 they glimpsed the secrets that they've been concealing behind the bladed walls of their fastness. Um, and I'm like, what, what, see, what are we talking about? Very interesting. Um, they have been catching... Zinch, Nurgle, and Corn champions, and basically mm -hmm. imprisoning and torturing them here, and that's what they've got. They've got them all here, um, and they're holding for. This is part of the ritual. She needs. They're all Zinch, Nurgle, and Corn. No Slanesh champions, but Zinch, Nurgle, and Corn. As many as they could have. Um, now she tells everybody that she's doing a ritual that will summon the you know Cain, 
Um, but her her elites knew that this is not true and that she was just, you know, she would make herself a god. And then once that happens, who's really going to say anything to her? Like who of her people are going to be like, hey, you lied to us? Because she, if she, if she actually, if she fulfills it, she reaches godhood, and none of their complaints mean a thing. And if she doesn't, she's dead. So there we go. She's going to do this. That's the plan. She's right there. She's going to do it. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the Namardi are pissed. And why are the Namardi pissed? Because, because they didn't go to the party. No. Well, she's pissed because she stole the lantern. Well. I think the big thing um, and like whole tie in for major story points, this is the shadow and pain box. Right. Because you have the Lord of Pain who learns all these things to then tell Sinhart about what's going on, fighting off Malusai. So this is, again, another seemingly inconspicuous thing that has been incorporated into a larger story. Right, but I'm talking more about because that 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 box didn't have the the deepkin. No, 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 no. But you, it's because you moved past it too quick. Oh, did I? I'm sorry. No, no. It's just it's one of the, it's again at like these smaller, seemingly innocuous releases, um, especially with the box sets. Like you've had Carrion Empire, which was Flesh Eater Courts and Skaven, that didn't necessarily mean anything to a grander story. Or Loon Curse or Feast of Bones. Like, it didn't mean anything. The Shadow and Pain box is actually, like, incorporated into this larger story. Oh, okay. So it went from something that's innocuous to something that is legit. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we get to, as I was, I, as I jumped ahead to this story, um, the High King Volturnos is there and they they stole the lantern and now they're mad and they want to go get it back and some people don't want to go or some people don't know why they have to go since they weren't the ones who lost it um Hagnar is not just a I mean it's they're attacking Hagnar that's 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 a that's that's a nigh on impregnable sort of place um and some people want to go some people don't basically in the end High King Volturnos basically says, um, we got to get this lantern. You can come with us or not, but we have to go get this lantern. I would assume you all understand how important this is. And he basically right. gets everybody. He, 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 he goes up and speechifies his way into leading out a huge, a huge Namardi army of basically from pretty much every group among the Deepkin. The major of the six enclaves for the Idenf Deepkin. The Namardi are the foot soldiers. Oh, so, right. Sorry. It's I'm okay. using the wrong terminology um, here. Yeah. So, again, it's that we're going to come at them with an overwhelming wave. They're not going to be able to stop us, and we're just going to go right through them. There's not a lot that they're going to do about it. We have to stop this. And to understand how Voltornis can do this is that he's, like, the last of the firstborn of the Deepkin, mm-hmm. the Synthai or whatever it is. Um, I can't pron- I can never pronounce some of these names. Um, so he <laughs> speaks with like the authority of like 
millennia mm-hmm. is really who Volturnus is. That's how he's able to get all these divided groups that don't even talk to each other. That's how seclusive Deepkin are to then say, look, we have a common purpose now. We need to go like right now. And that's what they so, do because you can only pretty much get, you have to come over water to get to Hagnar. It's it. You, you And she has just, she's got all the scourge privateers out there. She's got the arcs out there. Like she has a ton, all of the seafaring, um, elves that she could muster all of the darkling coven type guys she's got it all there and you got to get through that to even get to hagnar of course who's really well equipped to do that the deepkin and it's if i may please do it's not even that um she hires out the city of misthaven um which is a free city in the city of in the realm of ulgu um, so this has your typical build of elves, dwarves, or dwarden, free guilders, but they're definitely more on the shady side. Yep. Um, not just because they're in Ulgu, but also they're just kind of nefarious. And the whole city of Misthaven is like this really weird conglomeration that it can separate and float down to wherever it needs to go because it's essentially like a raft city, but it's made up of different flotillas and everything like that. So she hires out the city of Misthaven to defend Hagnar against the coming threat. And the Taras Nightscour, who is that scourge privateer that helped lead the expedition to get the lantern to begin with. Um, he's from Misthaven. So he knows what's going on. He's loyal to Marathi. So he knows that, they're going to be coming. They've dealt with the Deepkin before, which is a huge deal. And they're used to fighting in Ulgu, whereas most of the Deepkin are not going to be. So they're the best thing that she has to defend Hagnar from the Deepkin. Yep. And so um, do you want to take the next one or two parts? Because I know a lot of this is the part that sort of interests you, the blood in the water. And the screams of exultation, because this is a lot of stuff. Slanesh starts attacking. Um, the 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 deepkin show up. Like it, it gets kind of crazy here. Do you want to take some of this? Because I know this is the part that I really grabbed your interest. Yeah, this is um, for me. This is the penultimate. Like this is the climax of the story. <laughs> um, no, it really is. So you have this massive wave coming up boiling over from a whirlway, which is how the deep can get between all the realms. Um, first you get the Namardi and then you get the, like this wave of Leviathans that just fly out and they smash through all the ships. And then that follows with the Fangmoras and then the sharks and everything like that. And you have multiple, uh, Namar, uh, Achillean kings, you have all these different formations. You have the, um, what are they called? The Eidolons right. that are flying through. So you've got like everything just coming out. You have Voltornis has got his king, who is like his hunt master, which is his right hand, and they're following the Alapexes that have the scent 
of the band that stole the lantern. So mm-hmm. their job is to just go straight in to try to get the lantern as fast as possible and then get out of the way. That's how the Idaneth fight is you come in like a wave, we're going to achieve our objective, and then we're going to do a fighting retreat and leave. So they're just essentially trying to lay waste as much as they can, um, but then just get their objective and get out. They can't do a stick fight, essentially, is what I'm getting at. They can't, like, stand there. Um, you have the Daughters of Cain that are popping in and out using the shadow ways and all the different uh, defenses that Marathi has built into Hagnar, um, popping in, popping out, butchering Deepkin. And it doesn't look good right away. Um, but then you have Voltornis. He breaks through and starts to literally turn the tide um, against everything. He is the one using the Astro Solus. Like he is the beacon of light that goes through. And that is what creates the resurgence because they're losing bodies to bolts. They're losing bodies to blades and like disciplined gunfire things that they don't necessarily have a good answer for because they are very lightly armored troops. So they're just getting cut down, cut down and it starts to look good. And then Slanesh shows up. (laughs) This, it's just like this massive cacophony, which is kind of the point you have Gev or Glavia Sinhart. She has convinced, um, and amassed a host of Slaneshi warriors to attack Hagnar because she's convinced and she's kind of got this idea of what Marathi's doing of we're going to release Slanesh and we're going to fulfill this prophecy of patriciation or whatever it is that she has been given. Um, And they just start attacking Hagnar. They attack the Deepkin and the Deepkin, like they don't fear anything, but they fear Slanesh because they're still tormented by the uh, right experience that they had in Slanesh's gullet. Um, and that was before bad dad Teclas ruined it just a little more. Um, so things are not going well. Voltornis sees this and he knows guys, we have to kick it up a notch. We have to go. And him, the sharks, Nemetar, who is his hunt master. They know where this lantern's going to be. It's going to be at the heart of the fortress. So, they break off and say, look, we have to go now. <coughs> you okay? Sorry. Yeah, I just need right. a drink real quick. Good gravy. Oh, sure, I get it. You need more water for your Deepkin stories. I get it. I, I see what you're hey, doing man, here. There is a lot to talk about here. It's very fast-paced. Yep. I know I'm skipping details. I'm just trying to hit the high points. Please do, because yeah, we're, we're not even two-thirds of the way through this yet. we got a lot to go, so, yeah, we got a couple more sections <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, we haven't even touched the war section. Um, So, he knows that they have to go, and then you get to the ritual itself, um, which this is Marathi channeling. Yeah, she's channeling all of the Varanite. She's channeling the lantern, and essentially, what she then does is she commands 
these outposts just start butchering all of the captives that they have. The Corn Nurgle and Slanish champion, or Corn Nurgle and Zinch champions, to start butchering them. And she's using the lantern to draw their souls and essentially force feed Slanesh this sudden influx of souls. Now, obviously, Slanesh has been kind of hungry for a while. So at first, he starts to gulp them down greedily. It's like, oh, thank you, sustenance. And then his tummy rumbles. It's like, something's wrong here. This and is then he so clever. But he's, he's eating spoiled food. This, this, These it's are not souls even... that don't belong to him. This is so wonderful. So she's been yeah. collecting these champions for ages, and now she slaughters all of them, pours them into the cauldrons. The cauldrons are direct linked over to this area in Ulgu, which is there. He sees all the souls coming, starts eating greedily, and then realizes he's eating corn, zinch, and nurgle souls, which none of them are... He, he, so it's, he, he, he's getting sick. He can't digest them because they're souls that are not sworn to him. They belong to the. Uh, they belong to his brothers, right? Is what it boils down to, and he can't properly digest them. So what that means is he starts to, like try to regurgitate them, and in the process of this regurgitation, he's dredging up everything else that's in his tummy guts, which is then what Marathi wants. She, which is the souls of some of the oldest elves or elves. Well, even that before she that, she's, the yeah, yeah. she's in there with the lantern and with the iron heart. And she just goes right into Slanesh. Mm-hmm. She, she goes right in because he can't swallow right now. He can't devour anything because this stuff that's pouring in is making him so sick. So it's safe to go back inside. And that's yeah. what she does. And she goes there with the yeah. lantern, and all of a sudden, um, and she goes into the, you know, it, she steps into the cauldron and gets sucked right in there. And well, she steps into the Varanite, which is in this cauldron, right? And but goes right into Celeste. Now she is, she's already been in there and been tortured for eons inside Slanesh before, so she knew what to expect. So, I mean, it's still like jumping into ice-cold water. It's still a shock to the system, but it isn't something she hadn't experienced before. So she was sort of prepped for it, and she was able to keep keep her head about her as this happens. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is where it gets crazy. She's in there. Um, the souls start coming to the lantern. The lantern is drawing them just like he had Teclas had done originally to draw them out. She's drawing like you said the oldest and most powerful souls to her and she starts to eat them. Which is exactly what Slanesh does to gain power, which is what all she's eating the souls of her fellow elves and devouring them to gain power. Um yeah, she essentially takes this form of like a snake. Um to grab onto the king's soul and sink her fangs in and drain them. Yeah. So. Now, she's taking all of these king souls in until she gets to one. And it's like the last the one. one. Um, 
With every one of their number consumed, Marathi grew mightier. One by one, the king's souls were devoured until a single radiant spirit remained, perhaps the most powerful of all. On the threshold of her ascension, Marathi hesitated. This being she had once shared a closeness with that her cruel heart had never experienced before or since. It was a moment of weakness that would cost her dearly. The king's soul, filled with rage at the slaughter of his kin, became a sword of fire and blood, a blazing brand that hewed straight through Morathi's soul, sundering the very core of her being. The, the Shadow Queen reeled and screeched in agony, black ichor pouring from the terrible wound. As Marathi fell into darkness, cleaved in twain, the bloated body of Slanesh began to convulse. A chorus of demented groans issued from the captive god's thousand mouths, followed by a flood of glittering drool. This viscous torrent coalesced into a shimmering protean shape that raced after the retreating Night Queen. So he kicked up something gross. Shadow Queen. Oh, sorry, sorry, Shadow Queen. Uh, my, my mistake. Um, she's about to attend godhood before she can eat the soul of her former husband. He, his, he, we should explain who he is. Go ahead, because, oh, that's right. There are some people who only have ever played Age of Sigmar. Take so, it away. Way back when, in the world that was, um, obviously you had, like, the good times of all the different realms and like when i say realms i'm talking like nations um the primary elf stronghold was ulthwen um and that was a series of kingdoms that fell under siege when chaos broke into the world that was and they started assailing everyone is dying everyone is getting slaughtered the First of the Phoenix Kings, Anarian, um, he's the one that turns the tide against chaos. Marathi is his wife um, and Malarian's father, formerly known the artist formerly known as Malekith, now known as Malarian. Um, he is like the only other person that she has any sort of connection to ever besides malarian um and that even then that's like a weird inarian replacement is what malarian is so right Inarian is the guy that fought back against the demons he claimed the sword of cain from one of cain's altars and cain is the god of murder um and it was a sword of literally fire and blood is you can kind of go with it here um and he ends up dying after using the sword to save all of his people. So she's still anguished at that loss. And that's where her quest or power really started to kick it up a notch is because she was the queen to Anarian who saved the world, essentially, according to her perspective at that time. Mm -hmm. So that moment of fallibility, like, and when we're describing this fallibility, it's because she loved him like legit love and she's not been close to him. She may have been close to him when she was trapped in Slanesh, but she's not been near him. At least I don't think because like since then, and I'm sure if they talked or if Anarian has talked to any of the souls that are bound in Slanesh, which I doubt he has until just now seeing his comrades butchered, 
he doesn't know all the terrible things that she's done. But I'm sure he does to some degree. We don't know that. It's not been discussed. So that's why he lashes out at her. It's like, you've done all these terrible things. and But I think the other thing to discuss here is that it doesn't look like he is the protean thing that chases after her. This seems like the protean thing is like a separate entity. Yeah, I mean, it's a soul. And a protean, it's just it's shape-changing, and he changes into a weapon. Like, he's so enraged. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, so, oh. Anarian manifests as a sort of fire and blood and cuts Marathi in half. Sure. Mm-hmm. But at the bottom, where they talk about, like, a viscous torrent coalesced into a shimmering protean shape... That's oh. not an Aryan. No, no, that's something Slanesh is sending. That's something out. completely different. Right. I had to read that part a couple of times just to make sure that I was not thinking that Anarian got out. Oh no, no, no! I was pretty certain that no, I, I didn't, I didn't think he did. I, I could see what you were saying though. Um, it's crazy though. So here, once again, you hesitate right at the end. She gets split. So her soul is split in half. So as she ascends to godhood, she is now in two parts, though. And this is what gets really cool, because now this is all happening. But meanwhile, uh, Volturnos breaks into this thing, and he sees this ritual's happening, has no idea what it is, just knows if they're doing it, it's probably not anything good, right? <laughs> So he comes in, and he's like, that's it. And he runs in, and he smashes the cauldron. And it blows up. And it knocks him back. Idnes and Canites are pulled into the Veronite. It's rushing through. Um, that explosion uh, gets Sinhart's attention. She's seeing all this. She sees the splits, the colors. She's like, uh-oh. Um and the thing that there's this huge explosion, and it says there's uh, from the heart of the inferno burst an indistinct shape, trailing lurid colors as it arced across the sky. I can only assume that that was the protean shape that came out from the last mm-hmm. part of the story. Um, Sinhart and all the Slanesh, they stop fighting and they just leave. They go after that thing. It went that away in the sky. Let's go. So whatever that was that escaped from Slanesh's body, whatever that thing was he created through his drool and saliva and stuff, they're going after that. Um, Meanwhile, what comes out is um, both Marathis. Yeah, it's two beings now. You have the High Oracle, who henceforth will be referred to as Marathi Cain. Mm-hmm. And then the Shadow Queen. Which is and the big snake. Basically, if you ever bought the Marathi model, you got two models. Mm-hmm. And when she would lose control, she would turn into the Shadow Queen. And when or she... you just do it turn one and you never use that other model. Well, right. Because, yeah. I, you know what I'm saying, though. I mean, story-wise, yeah, no, no. she walked around a lot of the time. It was when she lost control and got really crazy bloodthirsty that she became the Shadow Queen. Now they are both... The same being, but two different beings. Right. Uh, This is really cool. Uh, It's also a clever way to let you play with both of your toys when you want to play the game. Right. So, but Voltornis only knows Marathi as 
the High Oracle. He doesn't know what this monster is. So he can't really make sense of it. He initially orders um, his soldiers to attack. Um, the Shadow Queen kind of goes on a rampage, as you might expect. Um, and essentially, the Scathborn, which are the Malusi, they capture and like kind of hold off the Deepkin that are down there. And then Marathi says, no, stop. Marathi yeah. Kane. Let him go. Um, she... She's the change in the presentation in how they describe and use Marathi Kane um, as the mouthpiece because they never use quotation marks from here in when she speaks. They, they don't directly is, quote her. No, they don't do that. So. And that's a change from pre- from like previous pages where you see quotes from Marathi and different things that she said. It stops. It suddenly changes perspective. And I like that little switch. I did not notice that little switch. Yeah. It even says like... Um, I'll just read this. The Risen Goddess ordered those few Akelian warriors that had survived her wrath uh, King Nemetar amongst them to be released. To the shock of all, Marathi Kane then called for Malusi attendance and gave word that the armies of Hagnar should fall back, granting the savage Ideneth clemency. Kaneite and Ideneth need not be enemies, she said. But again, not a quote. Both had far more in common than not. They were exiles, outcast, um, despised by those who mentioned themselves better, more noble. She spat the last word with undisguised hate, but again, not a direct quote. Her words are now, it's almost like law and like definitive. There is no misconstrue. Um, And then they reference every time that she talks from here until the end of the book. It works like in that speech. I'm going through the book, though, and I don't see any quotes Anything if from you turn back quotes. one page on page forty-five. Quote: There will be pain beyond pain. I will scream. Oh Perhaps well, that's I in the but that's in the italicized little story box out parts. Yeah, I'm talking I'm pretty in, sure that. Yeah, but I'm saying in the rest of the book, though, it doesn't quote her ever. I don't think. I mean, uh, unless you're talking about the story parts, but once again, the story parts of the zoom in, I don't think there's quotes for anything. And I'm not, hey, I'm not trying to rain on your parade here. I'm just saying if you go through any of the parts that aren't in the little boxes or the italicized story parts, a lot of people say stuff. There's no direct quotes in any of this. Hmm. I'm just saying, I don't okay, know. Then maybe you- I just missed them. No, I mean, I, uh, and, uh, now I feel bad because you thought you found this really cool thing. But I, I see what you're saying. I just don't think that that was a thing that they did in the story be, because I, I, didn't, I don't see any other quotes in the stuff that's not in the little box sections. All right. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Oh, my God. I feel Thanks, bad Dave. now. <laughs> I like how you laugh about it. Thanks. Uh, you know what? I, I, if, if I didn't laugh, I would cry. Here I am. Alex is getting all excited about something. And the one time he's genuinely excited about this, and I got to bring him back down. So that's my fault. Okay. I apologize. So essentially, 
Um, Moranthi says, hey, look, if you want the lantern back, I'll give it to you. It's a little beat up. It's got a couple of dings. But, by the way, it's got some souls of other Sithai, um, like other old souls that I didn't really want, but I got them. So if you want them, you can have them, and we'll just, you know, call it packs and everything moves on. And Volturnus, the Deepkin are nothing if not, like, pragmatic and very but, practical. But they're those like, are actual you know what? Deepkin, right? Like, like he's they're not going to eat Sithai. them. They're... They're, no, he's not going to eat them, but for he can use their souls to either like gain additional knowledge or bring forth more of uh, Deepkin to his caliber. Right, that's right what, he's yeah. the only one. Right, so, that's what I thought. So, Yeah, so he's like, you know what? Fine, deal. We'll go away now. Because that's just how pragmatic, cold, and business-like that the Deepkin are. Yeah, and it he's gonna get his lantern back. He's got some extra stuff. He lost a ton of dudes um and dudettes going through this whole process. But we got the lantern back. We got something else that we didn't know we were gonna get, so let's caught our losses and boogie out. And this is where essentially the deep can recede and everything just kind of goes back to normal in Elf World. Yep, the end of Act 2 here. What I did like about the end of Act 2 here is she does have a plan she wants to talk to him about a little bit, and when she offers him back the lantern and the souls, the last part is here, uh, he, the High King bed Marathi came to speak her piece. It's okay, say your, say your part. Um, I think one of the best drawings in the book is on this next page, too, at the end of Unit 2. Or unit yes. two, uh, act two, um, seeing them coming in uh, and all of the the deepkin coming in and seeing the 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 canites just fighting against them. But then you see Marathi in front of the giant cauldron, and then you see Marathi Kane in front of it, uh, still large. And then you get to see the scale of the the oh, other. Gee. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, you know the models are different sizes because you see them when you actually play with it. But to see something given that sort of form, just that how monstrous and huge and frightening her her uh, angry form is, the Shadow Queen there. It's just it's such a great picture. I love this. I love this particular piece of artwork. Yeah, um, and this is one of those like they had when they initially teased Marathi. Um, this book, this is one of the pieces of art that they showed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember talking to some people and like full disclaimer from playtesting, I knew this was happening. I didn't (laughs) necessarily know how, but if you look at the art of the shadow queen and the other Marathi Kane, as she's now known, um, the picture that they like, they released this picture, but you couldn't necessarily tell right away that it was another Marathi. Right. When I saw it, I knew exactly what it was, and it's like, that's another Marathi. So this is her triumph picture, essentially. Yeah, but. it's it's really great. I, I really like this part. I think it's an interesting way um, to, to, to... It's an interesting way to defeat an issue that they had on the tabletop while moving the story along in a really clever way. I don't know if this... I mean, who knows? You know that these guys at Games Workshop, they've got a they got a guy who is like what do you call the lore master? You know, the guy like the Kevin Feige uh or the Phil the, Kelly. The Phil Okay, yeah. Um 
Oh, that's right. Phil Kelly is the dude for this, isn't it? For AOS. That's right. He is the dude. He is the dude. When they put this model out and they you can have one or the other and everyone was complaining, I'm wondering if in the back of his head he already knew this was where the story was going. Because I know that's you, possible. You know they've got this plan like like they're like they're not putting out the broken realms and being like, Okay, well, once they finish this out, it's not like they're gonna show up to work on Monday and be like, Where should we go from here? You know they've got like at least basic story arc ideas laid out for a while. You know this from when you talked to all these guys when they worked on all the Horus Heresy stuff and the different 40K stuff. They've got this stuff planned out. I'm just curious if if the, the, if when they put out the Marathi, the two Marathi models, and everyone's like, this is really cool, but it plays really weird. And it does. If if there's somewhere in the back of his mind, Phil Kelly's like, going, just wait, just wait. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be perfect. You're gonna love it. Yeah, I'm not sure the lead time that he or that they had on this. Um in development when they came up with the Daughters of Cain, because that was a number of years ago now. Right. Um, so, I mean, but they've got sure to know what's going on. I mean, I'm but... certain Phil Kelly knows where it's going on with Malarian and when he's showing up. I'm certain he knows what's going on with Tyrion. I'm certain he knows what the next big move's going to be. You know, I mean, because once they get this done, then they got to start working. they got to put the rule books out and they got to start working. The, the thing about creating a game where you can move the story along is you kind of had to have an arc to have an idea where the story's going to keep going. Right, you know, and so I'm just I I just wonder how much he had planned. Probably not that, you know, but maybe it, I'm just I, hey I'm saying things. This is what I do. Let's take a break. We know. <laughs> Keep it up. I'll break your heart on more of this story. Uh, we'll come back after the break with Act Three: The Anvil Guard in Darkness. This is where the story goes. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I freaking love this part. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. The Dark Prince stirs, squirming against his twilight bonds. The sweet song of his faithful echoes from all corners of reality. With every shriek of agony and howl of trembling exultation, his power swells beyond the ken of his dull-witted jailers. One by one, the god chains are sundered, each fractured link concealed by the prince's impenetrable illusions. In their arrogant self-certainty, the elf lords fail to grasp what is coming. To the prince of perfection, a progeny shall be born. The screams of shackled lightning shall herald its coming. The bitter oaths of the betrayed shall be its birth song. All will be decided before the walls of the great deceiver's fortress. The oceans will churn. The shadows will writhe. When the serpent's head splits in two beneath the glare of a crimson moon, then shall the newborn one come forth. At the zenith of exultation, it shall slither from the belly of its father, and the realms themselves shall quiver to witness its glittering magnificence. The prophecy of parturition, as recounted by the Slaneshi herald, Glavia Sinhart.
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we are back now, crossing the Searing Sea to the City of Scales with Anvilgard in Darkness. Oh, yeah. this Okay, and I, uh, the other thing I like is they break this into three acts, and it's in three distinct places. The first part, they've got to break into uh, the, the all points. They do that. Once they're out of all points, we're in Act 2. Now we're in... Now we're in Hagnar. Boom. Now Hagnar's done. We get to this part. I think this is, for me, this was my favorite part, just to see how crazy this goes. And you get to the end of this, and it's like, wow, this is, like, you could have ended this at the end of Act 2. And I think most people would have been like, okay, cool, satisfied. But now they take this next step, and by, and then I get to the end of Act 3, no longer satisfied. Now I'm like, well, wait, but now what? You know, before I was still would have been like, now what? But this, all right, let's just jump into it, okay? You've got Anvil Guard here. Um, they're tough. They're a tough people. It's a rough place to live. Um, which realm is this in? This is in Akshi. This is in Akshi, yeah. So it's the realm of fire. It's a, it's 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 a hard place to be, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and what starts happening is. Uh, people start disappearing. Um, and we should also er- probably explain, like, what Anvil Guard is about. We talked about it ever so briefly when we did the Cities of Sigmar uh, oh, okay. book review. Um, Anvil Guard, on its surface, is like any other free guild, like any other free, uh, City of Sigmar. Um, it's got the Black Nexus, which is the Stormkeep of the Anvils of the Hell and Hammer. Um, and it has all the normal like bureaucracy, politicians, f- traditional structure. However, the real power behind the throne is the Black Scale Coil, which is a group of pirates, uh, gangsters, sorcerers, or like wizards, like just nefarious types that essentially run the city top to bottom. Um, and the Anvils of the Hell and Hammer, like, they have tried to uncover the plots and expose the corruption of the Black Scale Coil, but they are just always two steps behind, essentially, is what it boils down to. Um, so this is essentially a criminal city, predominantly run by Scourge Privateers, um, Order of Serpentis Lords, um, Darkling Coven Sorceresses, 
like what used to be the old Dark Elves, with the exception of Kane. Um, so they kind of run the show through bribery, coercion, or just straight up murder. Um, but what we're seeing at the beginning of this is that the level that um, the disappearances and the deaths have been have been going on is like unrivaled for even Anvil Guard by comparison. So it's just things are revving up. More people are disappearing. And it's just like a real unsettlement amongst the populace that there's something big coming. And I know this might be a foreign concept for us, you know, here on Earth and not in the realms. But this is a place where people die and disappear all the time. Like you said, it's a rough mm -hmm. and tumble place. But in this place, now it's important people, rich people, political people are getting killed and are disappearing. And now suddenly when the rich and important people start dying, people start to notice and suddenly it's a problem. Okay. Um, that doesn't sound anything like this world. Right. See what I'm saying? Because I know we care about everybody here. Here, it's just like, oh, look, the terrible place. And it's not until the people with money and power start getting scared that something happens. Now, um, a half a season earlier, it says it starts happening. Um, and people are blaming all sorts of stuff. Some people are saying it's those, you know, there's still people who are blaming stuff on the Skaven, and there's still so many people who don't even believe the Skaven exists. I love the fact that an entire race is, is in this game that a lot of people just don't believe in. You well, know? I mean, that's not like it wasn't that way in the old world either. Oh, I know it was in the old world, and it still is. And it just seems crazy to me that that the most populous race in the game ever is the one race that nobody actually knows exists. Or like, or if you believe it, you're like, you know, you you're like a conspiracy theorist type person. If you believe in these rat people, you got to be some sort of an idiot. I just love that. Um, some people think it's Grotz. Uh, some people think, but then they. You know, there's some people who believe it's like the, the crime syndicate that runs the place. Mm -hmm. And basically, they don't even know what to do at this point. They've got to find out. Like you said, even the Stormcast couldn't figure out what's going on here. They don't know what's happening. And they're not supposed to because otherwise the story wouldn't go in advance. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what? What? No, just the way you said it. <laughs> That's all. Harrison's laughing too, so apparently I said something clever. Um, it wasn't clever. It was just oh. like very like matter of factly, but also <laughs> like well. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, that makes perfect. Far, far be it for me to be clever. Um, so the this these this this the black scale coil, super powerful, super wealthy, um, and they're just they are. Everyone, everyone, there's it's fear everywhere, okay? And that's basically what you need to know is everybody is terrified. Um, and then we get, uh, remember Ven Brecht? At the end of Act 1, he got out of there. Um, mm -hmm. He's been remade, and he went right to Sigmar. He literally talked right to Sigmar, which is awesome. And then um, as he talks to Sigmar... Then the the plan starts to come together. You want to take this part here? Uh, yeah, sure. So 
he's going right back to work. Um, Van Brecht does. And we should probably explain a little bit about who Van Brecht is. Um, he is a Lord Veritant, and they are charged with undercoming or like uncovering like heresy, searching out traitors, mag- uh, magicians, demons, those sorts of things. Um, he comes from a line before he was a Stormcast that the vast majority of his family and bloodline have fallen to the soul blight curse. Oh, that's right. Uh, so that's oh, okay. Essentially that's right. vampirism um, is what it is in the age of Sigmar. So he has a particular motivation and drive to eliminate his own family because that to him is a piece of shame that they are like that. Um, now, obviously, the Annals of Hell and the Hammer have a particular association with death. Um, most of their troops come from Shyish, um, and they seem to have like older connections to the land of the dead. So he knows that something's going on. He can't figure it out. He knows that there's something going on. He comes back. He finds Anvilgard like on the precipice. And then who follows him not terribly long after, but a black arc arrives, which is uh, from Misthaven. It's the agonizer under Tarasanite Scour, who has been kind of like this bro for Marathi. And then Marathi gets off the boat. <laughs> um, and she essentially walks through the city of Anvilgard, like parade style. With the Melusai. With the Scathborn. Um, yeah. In full vision. Um, normally when they travel abroad, um, they use illusion and glamour to appear like a normal witch elf. They hide the snake um, parts because it's scary as hell to look at these things walking around half snakes looking like. Uh, and it's. Yeah. And it's very unnatural, um, which unnaturality naturally lends itself to. Like, is there like chaos in you, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So she parades through Anvilgard and then Breck sees us and is like, wait a minute. How are you back from the eight points? And he even comments that she comes through Anvilgard like a conqueror. Yeah, she's not walking in here like she's visiting. She's walking through like that's a parade. She owns the place is how she's acting. Uh, and he heads right to the Dauntless Hall, which is where the council is. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where it gets interesting. Uh, Marathi comes in and she's like, oh, look, I've been hearing a lot of stuff from my people that this place is sort of in trouble. You know, I just want to help. And he comes in and he is like, uh, what? And basically people are like, oh, thank you for help. And he's like. No, uh, Van Brecht, uh, he offers her all sorts of, he's just suspicious, openly suspicious. How'd you get out of that place at the eight points? How'd you get out of there? Everything was falling apart. Like, it, nobody else came back. How'd you get back? And that's part of the problem was all of the Stormcast wound up getting, you know, captured, killed, destroyed. Um, well, how'd you make it out if nobody else did? And she just, she's... You know, for someone who was so upset that the other 
that her contemporaries were so that they looked down on her, that they had disdain for her, that they just sort of, you know, like didn't, didn't, she's acting exactly the way she complained about everyone else acting towards her. You know, she sort of looks down on him and she's just like, oh yeah, uh, you know, um, and she says, uh, oh, and then here comes the part. This is, I love this part. Um, she starts lying. Oh, you know what? We we told them about what happened. They're, they're right now. They're probably sending reinforcements to help get them out. Just totally lying. And then she looks at him and says to him, "I'm really sorry. If uh, you you've obviously suffered some trauma in reforging, and her profound hope he would suffer none of the terrible side effects that plagued so many of his resurrected kin. This, it, you know, everyone goes, because oh! there's rumors." That Stormcast can get a little weird, but nobody really talks about it. Nobody really knows the truth. And here she just said it in front of a bunch of normies, right? Well, it's normies. It's the high-ranking officials of Anvil Guard and directly in front of a Stormcast. And it's actually written here, for it was forbidden by the law of Azir to give voice to the rumors that swirled regarding the changes wrought upon the Stormcast upon by their constant resurrections. Mm-hmm. Um and she even insinuated, like, well, maybe you're just not who you are. Like, maybe you're just not you. You're not yourself. Maybe you've had yeah, a bad no. day. Yeah. I heard about how you act. And, and he gives the worst answer, too, because she goes up and she's like, you know, I've heard about your heavy-handed justice. I heard about the people who are in the dungeons. You know, have they been all treated fairly? And she starts questioning the methods by which he is rooting out chaos. And his answer is, hey, We've been here, sent here to root out chaos, and the mandate has no limits when it comes to acts of sedition or heresy, which none of these people want to hear because they're all already afraid of him. And he basically says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, I could do a lot worse if I, if I find it necessary. Absolute wrong thing to say. Guy is not a politician. The guy is not, uh, uh, you know... He is not as skilled an orator as Marathi is, and she knows it, and she works circles around him and basically said, uh, you know what? If you want, I can figure this out real quick. I got people. We'll get this done. We'll get this handled in a way that doesn't have to have so many people getting dragged off and disappear, and everybody's cheering her on, and he's like, this sucks, and he's like, okay. You win. Yeah, fine. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. And as he's walk, as he's walking out, she is just just glaring daggers at him as he walks out. Yeah, I and love he has no proof scene. of her duplicity, so he can't even. He has no proof, fire but back. he knows. Like he's not stupid. He knows something's going wrong. Something is horribly wrong here. He just doesn't have proof. Meanwhile. This fog is rolling in, the mist, and it's always kind of foggy and misty because they've got all the chemicals that they use and the and the and the and, the, and all the the uh, you know the different part where they're building up weaponry and stuff. There's constant fog and smoke coming around no, here. No, no, that is not Anvil Guard. Oh, that's not. Well, then, oh, it's the plant withering gases pumped into the air by Ironwald watchtowers. Yep. Oh, that's keeping the 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 jungle back. I'm sorry, that's what that is. Right, you're correct. Yeah, you're thinking of uh, Greywater Fastness. Yeah, that's see. There's so many of these towns now. I'm starting to start. They're starting to blend. Um, okay, 
So they're going in and stuff is just wrong. Like this is not the same sort of fog. Things. It, I thought. I honestly thought the Idenith were coming to attack because they kept saying as they were breathing in it, it felt like icy seawater was flooding their lungs and time seemed to slow down. And I thought that the Idenith were coming, but it doesn't seem to be that way. Um, basically, the fog runs in, uh, separating all the different militia units, you know, the different teams. And um, stuff's coming out of the fog. They're getting shot at. They're getting attacked. They, they can't see where their attackers are coming from, but they are definitely under attack. They're slowly but surely getting pushed back. They start to realize... Um, that the, they see these elves coming, and they're like, yes, reinforcements. These are some of our people. And those elves who were people who lived in Anvil Guard, because Marathi had tons of her people in there. And as they came up and they were expecting them to be relief, those guys start slaughtering the actual, uh, the actual uh, militia as well. Um, it's just not good. They are just getting killed. Yeah. Now, they're putting up a good fight, but they just they don't have it. They just don't have enough. Um, the important thing to also mention is that the uh, Stormcasts are not getting killed. They're getting stabbed, sure. No, but, we haven't gotten to that part yet, which is why I didn't mention it. But, no. yeah, no, that's, yeah, that is part of it, too. Because uh, they're still finding out what's going on. Because this is right where the Black Nexus, they're sending messengers through the storm the realm gates to request aid but nobody's coming back and i don't know what they've got at the other gates but marathi has assured them don't worry there's not going to be any uh any reinforcements coming through for them um van brecht goes to the to the leader and he's like "Uh, dude marathi is doing something and he's like we don't have any proof and he's like yeah but we don't have any proof but there's no way it's a coincidence that she shows up and suddenly a fog rolls in and we're all being attacked. And he goes, well, go find the proof because I can't start a war with her. I, I, yeah, that's above my pay grade. I cannot start a war against uh, one of the God King's allies. So they've got to go out and uh, find. And this is where we get to the part that you're talking about. Uh, she knows that if the Stormcast die, they'll go to Azir and they'll be like, uh, Anvil Guard's under attack and Marathi might be behind it. So they're all basically paralyzed. They use all sorts of poisons to paralyze them and take them out of the fight, but n- not one of them is allowed to be killed. That's the big deal. I think this is so cool. This is such a great... I mean, and they're prepped. They are surrounding the... Um, the black uh why 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 am I blanking on the name of their the their black f- nexus. the black nexus I always want to call it something else um the, you know the prose- the prosecutors go flying out and there's like poisoned uh, fanged nets thrown over them to pull them out of the sky nobody's getting anywhere every one of these guys is being pulled down um and they they have to just all pull back into into the black nexus. Like you can't go out there. Like they can't. There's no chance. They they don't have a chance. If we've all pulled together here, we can at least hold this part and not let her take it. Um, and then we get to uh where von Brecht is trying to hold the line, 
Uh, lots of people show up here. You want to run through this because you know all the characters better than I do, I think. You want to run through who shows up and what their plan is? Not what? really. Okay, then I got it. No worries. Um, so they know that this is bad, that they've got to have all the Stormcast defending uh, Anvil Guard. There's, there's, and remember, Marathi asked for these guys to come out. A lot of them were killed or poisoned or captured. Their souls could not all go back. So a lot of these guys are, are there. There's just there's no replacing them. They're all gone. Um, but a few guys did get there. You've got uh, uh, Warden King Matlo Lorkison, uh, some Dwarden, uh, a Cogsmith, Uldur Flamebeard, um, and a, a couple of thousand flagellants show up. Uh, so you've got all that going on. Uh, so all of this is happening, um, and there's an elven army. Just I mean, there's a huge – picture it like in that third Lord of the Rings movie when you had all the orcs around the big city, and it was just like they're, they're outnumbered by a ton, and they're just – they're trapped. They can't do anything. Um, the, all the banners are Marathi Kane banners, uh, and then they come forward, and they've got the black – Nexus surrounded, and they make a big announcement. They are claiming this town for Marathi Kane, and it will forever be known as Harcuron. They've changed the name, and they've taken it from Marathi. And they're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Now, Von Brecht is still in the hall with the senders, and he's like, we got to do something. They're surrounded, and they come up with a plan. There is, they, apparently they have this uh, old fire snout, which is... Um, it's something they've built. It's a lumbering iron behemoth as large as a castle, bristling with cannon towers and flame-spitting turrets. And they could literally... It's a cog fort. It's a cog fort. Yeah, okay. Um, and they can get to it. And he tells them they can go through the Dwarden catacombs underneath the town and get there. And as long as he can keep the people distracted... He's got enough guys there that they can get to the cog fort. Now, of course, Marathi's not stupid. She knows there's tunnels underneath. So she sends out a bunch of guys with the war hydras and charybdises and the war hydras. So they fight the war hydras and charybdises on the way there. They lose a lot of guys, but they still get there, and that's what's important. And there's enough guys to run the cog fort. Uh, of course, the, the Dwarden, some of them are dead, and so you get the uh, Warden King who looks around and says they will pay tenfold, ten lives, or a hundred lives for every slain Dwarden because you got to have a Book of Grudges thing going on. Um, the storm keeps surrounded. They come out, and they, they're outside of there, and they're like, all right, we got to do something. Nobody's coming to save us. We have to do something ourselves. And remember, the Black... Nexus not only can hold hundreds of Stormcast Eternals, it's also got four realm gates in it. This is an important spot, an important point. Um, Von Brecht comes out and starts charging, and like they don't know what to do. They're like, what is happening? There's like a bajillion of us. But Von Brecht, is, I mean, he's got his guys together. They're in tight order, and they start, they start smashing. Um, I don't get the, the trailing wisps of violet light circled above the marching Stormcast Eternals. Ancestral spirits, perhaps solemn witnesses to their... I'm not certain what that is, but it added a really cool... So if you remember from uh, Forbidden Power, where 
the Celestin Prime takes on the aspect of the Andals of the Heldenhammer. Mm-hmm. Um, they even talk about the souls of the dead, like whispering to him. Um, oh, that's right. Cause the, they're from the Andals of the Heldenhammer, like the keepers of the dead, the, like, the keepers of the souls, the keepers of the memories. Um, so part of their connection to Shyish and just death in general is that they have these souls that like accompany them that are like pseudo spirit guides um, or even just like little extra manifestations like from reforging, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what this Nimbus is. It's just enough of them mustering and going for their last stand, essentially. Gotcha. So they're heading out there and it's so funny. They charge out and the actual, the elves actually get nervous. They're like, what are they crazy? And if they're marching off with that much certainty, why? Like, what do they got up their sleeves? They assume there's something up their sleeves. They go there. They're ready to fight. Um, and he's clever enough to say, look, <laughs> kill the heroes. <laughs> it's, it's also how the Darkling Covens are, though. <laughs> right. But, I mean, this is, I mean, isn't this every game? Kill the heroes. You know the sorceresses are the power of the Darkling Covens. Get to them first and they start doing that um and the next thing you know they're they're getting the job done they're surrounded though they're being attacked guys are going left and right um and as it as it feels like they're in trouble they're they're now they're they're, they're they've lost some of their guys they're still sorely outnumbered they're doing the job but it's might not be enough. Suddenly, there's a light and a glow and a lot of noise, and here comes the cog fort. The cog fort comes. Walk old fire snout comes and starts smashing stuff, and suddenly, it looks like they're changing the tide. It looks like they've got the darkling covens on the ropes. Um, he actually goes over to what's her name, the head of this thing, um, Juice of Crave. Yeah. And she's over there, and he he makes for her. They wind up killing the dragon she's riding. She's down. She's hurt. They pull out the lantern. They blinded her. She's trying to get up. He's coming in for the killing blow. And then Marathi Kane shows up. That never goes well. She comes out of there, and she basically uh, the which the what's the big one called again? The Shadow Queen. The Shadow this Queen. Is like- the true Marathi. Yeah. She, she comes crashing down um, directly on top of old fire snout and pr- proceeds to demolish it. Let's just, I mean, let's just call it what it is. She rips that thing apart. She kills the guys inside it. It tumbles. It collapses. It falls down. This is not good. Um, and at this point they can't, they 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 can't keep it going. Um, then you see the regular the uh, the Marathi Kane come marching through. Stormcast Eternals are trying to do to get to her. She's just like waving at them, and and then shadow tendrils are just kind of flying out from behind her and knocking them out of the way. She's not even trying. This is not a fight. This is there, there's. You know, this is like if Mike Tyson fought an infant. This is just, there's not, it's a joke. Um, They got nothing. And as she gets there, she sees Van Brecht on the ground and she smiles at him. 
And she just says, this city belongs to Marathi Kane and to the Empire of Hagnar. Continued resistance is pointless. And he looks at her, and he's like, death is a gift. Uh, and it, he's not afraid of it. Did she feel the same? And uh, he then tells her that Sigmar is going to kill her himself for this. He's like, Sigmar is going to personally kill you for this. And she's like, ah, poop on Sigmar. And he goes and it, he almost he throws an attack. She just barely blocks it. Um, and then she grabs him and, and basically chokes him. Well, uh, chokes him to the, she won't, she can't kill him. So she chokes him with a point of unconsciousness. Uh, and then, you yeah, get this, so she, yeah. he lashes out with his sword and barely misses her. And then the Shadow Queen drops on him and snatches him up and squeezes him. Right. So he went for the Marathi Kane, not for the Shadow Queen. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because, yeah, he's not going to fight. He's not going to get the Shadow Queen. Um, well, he's a Stormcast. He's not afraid of anything. Right, but he, if there's one Stormcast ain't taking down the Shadow Queen. Yeah, but we saw the pictures. But yeah, but he went after her anyway. And then you get a, another little bit of story in here um where he's trapped and uh this sort of gives you a, a little what's what's happening in here. He was alive. That should have been a comfort to Kaiser von Brecht, but it was not. Death would have turned his flesh to lightning and sent his essence screaming back to Azir. The agony of reforging would have awaited him, but at least he could have warned the God King of Morathi's betrayal. Even now the traitorous sorceress might be marching on another free city. Her insurrection would surely not cease after Empire. Her vision was of Empire. The Lord Veritant had been stripped of his armor and weapons and wore nothing but sodden rags. He was suspended in mid-air, his hands and feet bound tightly not by cold metal, but by slimy, sinuous strands of organic matter that disappeared into the shadowy ceiling of the cramped cell, far out of sight above his head. Brackish water dripped down onto his scalp with maddening regularity. How long had he languished here, Van Brecht could not say. Days? Surely. Weeks? Perhaps. The constant dripping made it hard to focus his mind. Again, Van Brecht struggled against his bonds. With every motion, they tightened around his wrists. Minute barbs protruded from the tendrils, sinking into his flesh. He felt a rush of lightheadedness and gritted his teeth as a numbing cold spread across his limbs. I confess myself impressed, came a self-satisfied voice from the far corner of the chamber. Van Breck squinted, trying to make out the speaker. Crascopod venom can paralyze a rhinox with a few drops, the voice continued. The fact that you are struggling at all, pointless though it may be, is nonetheless impressive. I advise you to cease, though. The creature can sense the slightest motion and contracts itself accordingly. I've seen it tear off a prisoner's arms. The speaker stepped out of the shadows, a lithe, cruel-eyed elf clad in shark-hide leathers. His hair was a shock of midnight black bound into an elaborate topknot. Van Breck noted the twin scimitars on his hips and the cleverly concealed dart thrower protruding from the cuff of his shirt. You have sown the seeds of your own doom, Corsair, the Lord Veriton said. The elf laughed, a bold claim for someone hanging helpless in a dungeon. 
What end do you envision for this little insurrection you and your mistress have begotten? Said Van Brecht. Do you believe for a moment that Sigmar will allow such a thing to happen? He will burn Anvilgard to the ground before he lets that treacherous sorcerer and her ilk lay claim to it. And then he will come for you. Harkura is the city's name, the Corsair corrected. Then he smirked and shrugged. Perhaps you are right to be skeptical, but life is so meaningless without risk, don't you agree? Your god king offers only dull servitude, only rules and laws and endless bowing to half-witted mortals. Marathi offers the freedom of the ocean and as much plunder as our holds can contain. We were never meant to serve your kind. Van Breck nodded. So be it. You should kill me now, elf. Elsewise I will break free of these bonds one way or another, and then I will repay your treachery with just reward. The Scourge Lord opened his mouth to reply, but a high-pitched scream in the distance cut off his words. It was followed by a rushing, roaring sound like a fierce wind howling through a tunnel. There was the harsh ring of steel on steel and another piercing cry. The Corsair's hands went to his blades, and for the first time a hint of consternation crossed his angular face. His eyes flickered to the Lord Veritant, who stared back impassively. There was a frantic hammering on the door of the cell. Drawing one of his scimitars, the Corsair eased the hatch open. Another elf stumbled into the cell, torn open from throat to belly. He coughed blood and collapsed, his guts spilling between pale fingers. The Corsair cursed and moved to slam the door shut again, but something seized him by the throat. Van Brecht had the briefest impression of a gleaming, blood-slick claw, and then the elf was hauled bodily out of the room. There was a series of horrified screams and a wet, tearing sound, then silence. Van Breck peered out into the dark hall. He could sense something out there, some malign presence panting in the darkness. Surely would come rushing down upon him at any moment. The bonds securing his arms tightened suddenly and painfully, and the sinewy tendrils quivered and lashed. There was a distant pain shriek, and the downpour splashing across Van Breck's head became hot and sticky. It dribbled into his mouth, and he tasted the salty metallic tang of blood. The tendrils slackened, dropping him several feet to the floor. He wrenched himself free, rolled, and snatched up a hooked dagger from the dead elf's belt. Aside from the drip dripping of blood from above, the cell was eerily silent. With his dagger and a backhand grip, the Lord Veritant moved into the corridor. It was smeared with gore and littered with corpses that had been torn apart with a savagery that defied reason. The elf corsair was slumped against the wall, his lower jaw torn away, one arm missing. He was still alive. His cold gray eyes found Van Brecht's. They mocked him no longer. The Lord Veritant waited a moment, long enough for the ruined creature to remember his promise. Then he broke the elf's neck. A mercy ill-deserved, but he had given his word after all. Ahead, a curving stair of polished coral led out of the darkness to a glimmer of light above. Van Brecht cautiously ascended. Somewhere distant, he heard more faint shrieks of horror. They were soon cut off, leaving only the sound of trickling and dripping brine. The Lord Veritant made his way through a warren of cramped tunnels, bilge water and blood swirling about his feet. There were corpses scattered all about. Most of them were elven corsairs ripped limb from limb or eviscerated. 
Some appeared to be emaciated prisoners, none of whom had been spared their captor's grim fate. Whatever the identity of his mysterious savior, they had no intention of leaving any witnesses behind. It was strange indeed, for Van Brecht had no doubt that the killers had intended to ensure his escape. Every bulkhead and shuttered gate in his path had been torn open. He walked the path of corpses until finally he felt a cool breeze caress his face. Emerging from a narrow stairway, he found himself on the ramparts of a great iron wall. Above, the sky was pitch black, so thick and impenetrable that even the high star Sigindil was not visible. There were sickle-shaped murder holes running along the wall. Then Breck peered through, several hundred paces below, glassy black water lapped against the base of a rampart. Too far to jump, he would have to make his way down to sea level and hopefully find a vessel that required only a single pilot. A faint sound caused him to turn and bring up his stolen dagger in a defensive grip. Far above, clinging to the spar of a bladed tower, was a figure wreathed in shadow. He could see the creature's eyes, pinpricks of crimson light boring into him. He caught the impression of a pair of bat-like wings unfurling, and there was a sudden rush of air. In an instant, the thing was gone, leaving Van Brecht alone on a dead ship. And that's basically the end of the... Uh, the next page has all... It's all Slanesh, and it's something that seems to be forming with a bunch of mouths and a weird-looking thing. But then there's this part. The newborn screamed across the sky, leaving a trail of brilliant iridescence in its wake. That's whatever this thing was that went from that explosion. It was an amorphous, protean thing, yet to choose a configuration befitting the magnitude of its creation. Where it passed, it turned stone to quivering flesh, birthed lakes of honeyed saliva and plowed valleys of pristine glass. The dark prince's faithful followed close, weeping tears of joy to see such divine corruption. The prophecy of... Oh, okay, sorry. The prophecy of parturition had been fulfilled. Soon they would look upon the face of their beloved God and know true ecstasy. Finally, the newborn came to rest in a shadowed hollow in the earth, a fitting cradle echoing to the agonized wails of long-dead souls. Hedonites came in their thousands to witness the birthing. Soon the hollow crawled with writhing, swaying worshippers, lost in rapturous delirium as they looked upon the pulsing sphere of potential that was the newborn. As the skies above howled in protest, a shape began to emerge within the embryonic glow, a winged form so beautiful and terrible to look upon that many present died there and then, lost to the throes of purest rapture. As the gathered faithful prostrated themselves, the newborn began to speak its first profane words. And that's it. That's all we've got. So whatever Slanesh set free which I don't think is himself because he's still chained unless that's the plan is he made a mini himself. But I don't think, I don't think that's it. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, that's where the story is because <laughs> Marathi might have ascended to godhood, but she has just released some sort of nonsense that she is not prepared for. Okay, so that's it. That's the Marathi lore. Um, God, that's so good. This is so cool. There's so much good stuff happening. And I am... Now, I am I am genuinely intrigued as to where this story is going to go next. I don't know how many books we're going to get. I don't know how many stories this is going to entail. I'm assuming it's going to be probably four or five at least, you know, because you're going to have to get something with the Stormcast. 
there may or may there's going to be obviously more with Slanesh. Maybe they'll bring in some of the free cities, but there's a there's a bunch more to this story, obviously. And I am super excited to see where it goes. I I hope you guys enjoyed it because, like I said, I've already read it through twice because I, I read it the one time, and then I went back to see what I all all to pay attention for all the little machinations that were happening and they are plentiful it's such a good read yeah but we haven't had like a massive story arc since soul wars mm-hmm. really like we had wrath of the ever chosen which we still have to get back to um yeah but i think this is gonna be like the defining moment in age of sigmar uh going forward because this is We've had this conversation before where it's just like, you know, the Daughters of Cain aren't terribly ordery um, because, you know, they're just mindless butchers. They're clearly evil. Um, but now you're starting to see the powers turn against themselves um, with order versus order, essentially. Um, so there's like a, it's a new twist that we kind of knew was coming, but here it is coming to fruition where alliances are getting broken like the cons- like the basic constraints of what we've had is now starting to come undone well and so. that's i i've been wondering as i read this if the if they will be considered order of chaos eventually uh with marathi being a goddess and uh, basically but it's not one of the five no so but I mean, they, they they were on. I mean, weren't they chaos back in Eighth Edition? I mean, weren't they? They were technically forces of evil. Yeah. Back in Eighth Edition, right. but there was a lot of other things that were forces of evil, like weren't necessarily evil. Like uh, orcs and goblins were forces of evil. Oh, that's right, because they didn't have everything set up with the with the the, mm-hmm. the major factions, with the grand oh. alliances. Right. All right. Well, that's it, though. That's that. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with the campaign and the new cool rules. Um, don't expect us to go through every single little thing in that. There's a lot of cool rules, but we just don't. I mean, you can pick up the book if you want to go through every little detail. But there is cool stuff and some changes for a lot. There's changes for a lot of rules, especially for the Daughters of Cain. So, well, for the Daughters, for the Deepkin, um and there's some extra stuff like there's no new models associated with this release, but it's updated war scrolls for models that currently exist. Um, a number of which were like in need of revamp. So do you um, need this of- book if you play those armies or can you just get the new war scrolls off of the, you know, the website? You can certainly probably get it off of the AOS app. I don't know if it's been updated to reflect these changes yet. Um, but even in but the the models, when they sell the models, I mean, you can click on any one of those on the main GW site and be like, download the War Scroll PDF for that oh, particular I, model. I don't know. That would involve their web team being up to date and everything. And um, I mean, I'm just I assuming you, you can get that stuff if I, you didn't. I would assume so, but yeah. I don't know so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It has a lot of extra allegiance abilities that will come back to um, some new battalions. Um, I mean, honestly, I would pick up the book, like regardless of whether oh, or not. Just for the story alone, it's worth 
it. Exactly. This is, I mean, this is really good. Yeah. And this is, I, I feel like a lot of what we've seen thus far has been order versus death, like Stormcast versus um, Nagash. You've seen a lot of that. You saw death versus chaos for a while. And now you've got order fighting order. You've got order fighting um, chaos. Like you've got everything is kind of coming together a bit more. So say all the players are involved. Um, we haven't seen any like real destruction yet um, in the grand scheme of things right now, but we can imagine that it's coming at some point. Yeah, the so only mention just, in this book was that how much the uh, the orcs are having fun fighting these big battles against the Bone Reapers because the Bone Reapers want all those giant monster bones, and they're mm-hmm. building fortresses. And the orcs are like, oh, fortresses! Looks like fun. But that's literally yeah. the only mention that destruction got in this book. Right. So... There's, it's just nice to have like this universe, universal impacting event because like the Necroquake technically did, um, but you just didn't see it play out like this. Right. So, no, this is really cool and it's really well done and I'm really happy with it. Like I was pleasantly surprised with how good this was. Mm-hmm. So that's it. We'll be back with the other half of it on the next episode. Uh, until that time, though, I would uh, take one more chance to thank our Patreon patrons, those people who make this show possible, including our associate producers, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, AJC, Opian, Big Jake, and our executive producer, Colin Miller. Thank you guys and every other Patreon patron, present, past, and future, who make this show and everything do we do on it possible. So, Alex, I will talk to you, well, probably next week. I think we're going to record the next part, so I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, if not sooner. Excellent. And, folks, until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant, only the faithful will stand when all others fall, and only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page, at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garagehammer community, check out the Garagehammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.